Fetching video. Life is not a destination, it's a journey. <laughs> it, is a journey. it is a journey. It's all about the journey. But then there's specific things you don't <laughs> He didn't want to have anything <laughs> to do with the internet. <laughs> I don't blame him. I don't blame I'm him. Gonna, I'm going to go live here for a second with George. George's phone. <coughs> there we go. Doctor, Late. you said you got here in 88, doctor, right? No, 88. 88 no. I went to my very first medical school <coughs> until 95. Uh, our life. Yes, yeah. we were. Yeah. We're so going to get <coughs> we're going to start discussing all that here yeah. in a minute. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Good morning, ladies Good. and gentlemen. Good happy evening, yes. Happy Labor Day, is that what it is? Happy Monday, happy Labor Day Monday. <laughs> it's funny how Labor Day is a uh, day of celebrating workmanship in the United States, and everybody takes that day off. I don't yeah. understand. It's uh, such a oxymoron. Well, it's a, it's a day where basically <laughs> anybody will... Uh, we're all Americans at the end of the day. Yeah. Working or non-working, it's a day of celebrating the work the workmen's... Basically, day. day. That's what it is. <laughs> by not working. Yeah, by not working. You could be Does unemployed. make any sense to me? I, I haven't figured it out yet. Yeah, well, you see on posts all the time, everybody, the first thing they <clears> post is, so do unemployment people take the day off as well? Well, unemployment people have the day off every, every day. day. It's so Labor Day labor for, them for them every day. But they get paid for it. Some <laughs> of us don't. Yeah. So, Ironically. Hap- again, happy Monday. Today, our guest, uh, our special guest today is Dr. George Mutafian. Welcome, doctor. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, Dr. George is actually a general surgeon, weight loss surgeon, vascular surgeon, and he does cosmetic surgery as well. Partial, yeah. Yeah, partial cosmetic surgery. And before the podcast even began, there was some stuff that we were talking about, some stories he was telling us, which we'll obviously go over tonight. I mean, uh, they're amazing stories uh, as far as the, the whole surgery and everything. But before we get into that, Let's go back a little bit. Okay. You came to the United States at a very, I would say, young age, but it was an age immigrating that was, it would be, I would say, it was a much more difficult time for somebody who was an Armenian. And you moved to a state where they probably don't even know what an Armenian I, is today. I, I, would, I would hesitate to move to that state today. Not that it's, I mean, it's a very diversified state, but still, it's... It's a challenge. I like Colorado. <laughs> it would probably be on the top of my list, yeah. one of the top of my list for me if I was moving out of California. I, I agree because it it's be got like four three. seasons. Yeah. You've got beautiful, yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a growing city. Um, I've been there once. I was there what, three years ago. So, mm-hmm. but but yeah, you <coughs> you moved from Gumri, Armenia. No, I moved previous to, uh, yeah, from Gumri to St. Petersburg, Russia. Russia. I did my school there mm-hmm. from uh, 1988 to 97. Ninety-five, I graduated from the medical school, and uh, then I did uh, surgical residency from ninety-five to ninety-seven. Then I moved to the U.S. to Colorado, state of Colorado, in uh, ninety-seven. Nineteen ninety-seven. Yeah. And any English? 
I started my my very first English uh, class was March second, nineteen ninety six. So a year later, <laughs> yeah, I moved to the U.S. <laughs> so from you're, at this time, you're bilingual, so you know it's, there's yeah. Armenian and there's Russian, Russian yeah. and now you're throwing English in there. And this is a year in. You <coughs> moved to Colorado. That's Why Colorado? Close. Well, that's how it happened. I met a tourist group that. Uh, I was able to uh, meet, and th- they were very nice people, and it helped me to move to the U.S. I didn't have anyone in this country, so I came and I moved to the United States to uh, Colorado and stayed there, passed my uh, USMLE tests, uh, step one and step two. It took me three years and learned English, obviously. I didn't speak English, and I was listening to the lectures. I was rewinding the video to understand mm-hmm. what they're talking about. So it was really difficult. And translating with the, uh, you know, translators, vocabularies and stuff. I had there was no Google Translator at the time. No, no. <laughs> I had this Dictionary. Book, book, Russian, and English language. Imagine, this is not even, like, you know, eighth grade or college English. You're talking about no. medical. Medical terminology. Lingo, yeah, terminology, which is... Yeah, I was studying eight to ten uh, hours a day, every day. I was commuting from Colorado Springs to Denver to go to Kaplan School to take the tests. Anyway, so I did that. I passed <coughs> the tests, and in two thousand, in year two thousand, I moved to uh, Portland, Oregon, when I stu- where I started my internship in uh, general surgery. Mm. Took me uh, two years to the internship because I broke my knee. I was playing soccer and I had a big injury. I was on crutches for about five to six months, so I wasn't. Uh, so I got off of the whole schedule, so I couldn't stay in Portland anymore. I lost a year, so I did a year and a half of uh, internship. Then I found a categorical, permanent uh, spot in Michigan for general surgery, and I did um, at the Michigan State University my general surgery uh, residency from 2002 until 2006. And then I graduated, and I moved on to North Carolina, where at Duke University I did advanced laparoscopic general and uh, weight loss surgery fellowship. Wow. Research one year, and uh, then I did clinical fellowship. So basically I graduated in 2008. I moved to L.A. in 2008. Eight years in Russia, 11 years in the U.S. training. So total of 19 years. 19 years of medical training. (laughs) So let me ask you a very, very, very (laughs) important question. In that 19-year span with all these states and cities, did you visit Glendale at all? (laughs) I mean, you did. Yeah. So you, because it's like you went from Colorado to Portland to Michigan. No, Colorado, I'm sorry, I missed that part. Colorado, LA, where I got married. Okay. Uh I stayed here one year. That's it? Yeah, that's it. Oh, my gosh. And then uh, I got married, and our honeymoon was uh, in Oregon in residency. (laughs) (laughs) In the hospital. (laughs) Next morning, after my wedding, we flew to Oregon for my residency. That's a honeymoon. That's a honeymoon. That's a honeymoon, honeymoon right there. Yeah. It was, was, yeah. Was wow. So it's Portland, and then from Portland... (coughs) Michigan. Michigan. And then North North Carolina. Carolina. And then L.A. again. And... Okay, so you got married. Now, uh, the wife is traveling with you. Yeah. My one son was born in Michigan at uh, Ingham Regional Medical Center in Lansing, Michigan. And my second son was born at Duke University in North Carolina. (laughs) 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 That's That's crazy. crazy. (laughs) They're not Californians. (laughs) He's traveled from the west all the way to the east side, basically. 
And then I, back to the west. And then back to the west. <clears throat> yeah, this set is the my roots. favorite you set place the roots. Yeah. So out of all the cities, which one was your favorite? Glendale. There you go. <laughs> there you go. But but it's tough from my understanding. I mean, um, when you do a residency and a fellowship in a specific city, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to transfer to a completely different city and to build a practice in the following. That's like, true. Right? A lot of people who well, go to school in Texas, let's say, they just remain in Texas or wherever, Duke, Let's say if they were Duke well, University. Go over what a residency and a fellowship is. Because a lot of people, would, they, they don't know about the whole fellowship. They know about the residency mm-hmm. where you could be, you're going to become a doctor. You have to go through your residency. Yeah. Well, I, I skipped medical school. We'll allow well, the oh, doctor oh, oh, to... Doc- <laughs> 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 well, you, go, you go over. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Our I mean, fellow doctor here. <laughs> My degree's from Guatemala. So. <laughs> How much you pay for <laughs> So residency is when you go and specialize in some specialty. You can become a resident of uh, you know become a fellowship uh, to do I'm sorry to do a family practice you do an internal, internal medicine, medicine. Uh, gastroenterology surgery different specialties that's what qualifies you as a specialist then fellowship is when you want nar- you want to concentrate on something more narrow and then do maybe some research too like I did I did one year of research I was doing the stapling and I had a chapter book chapter and other things that we did publications <coughs> And then uh, you specialize in a specific field. Like I loved laparoscopy. Laparoscopy means small incisions. The, we usually call it lasers. <laughs> Our people love saying <laughs> laser. When they say laser, that means laparoscopy. Yeah. There's no <laughs> laser. There's really no laser. Everybody it's just like these <laughs> metal small, things. That, yeah, right? small holes. Like we make uh, five millimeter, ten millimeter <laughs> holes, and that's so laparoscopy. So wait, wait, let me get this because I've never had a surgery. Right? Oh, okay, that's good. When I hear people say I'm going to have a laser surgery, that means laparoscopy. there's really no laser involved? No. Usually no. There's Why? some lasers we use, but not... Not most of that. So, because here's what I heard: someone said they had <coughs> kidney stones, mm-hmm. and they lasered it out. It's uh, ultrasound. It's it's you. waves, ultrasonic waves, but that's different. Uh, in general, when they say laser, means laparoscopy. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait. A minute. <laughs> <laughs> We're all confused. I think, I think you guys are picturing a Star Trek. No, 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 no. <laughs> Here, here's here's the thing. I'm not. It's I'm not talking about like Goldfinger James Bond laser status. <laughs> I'll say it in, I mean it's in Armenian when they say right. basically with the la- translated back to our people who are speaking Armenian uh, basically they're removing the stone with the laser so when they say what does that mean I ultrasonic mean, wave means uh, radio in radiation, yeah. if you want to really radiation. translate, exact translation. But uh, it's not even laser. Laser, we use laser, real, actual laser in some surgeries, uh, like I do varicose veins, and we t- uh, we said that I do some vascular. So yes. that's varicose vein ablation. Mm-hmm. You can use laser. That's a real laser. You need a fiber, and I have that, and it has special uh, wavelength at fourteen seventy, and uh, you know other things that you have to go through. And you can do RFA, radio frequency ablation. That's more energy. It's not laser. So, so it's, a, two it's a very powerful energy that basically yes. breaks it apart? Yeah, you, you burn that, uh, the endothelium, the internal lining of the vein, and you close the vein. Uh, so you reroute the blood to the deeper veins. So it basically you're causing thrombosis of that vein. And stop that's working. Laser. So yeah, you're stop stopping it from oh. exactly. You're getting rid of it. So <laughs> is it is it that tool basically when you see a lot of cosmetic surgeons use it where it looks like it's burning it? Yeah. But it's actually kind of slicing through, but it's stopping. It's burning it basically. Yes, it could be laser, but it could be something else. It could be freezing. You can be freezing too. 
Or it could be ultrasonic waves for the kidney stones. It could be... Uh, Many things. Yeah, uh, energy. I see. Regular energy that we use. We have, uh, in laparoscopy, we have three instruments, very good instruments, that one uses energy called a ligature. When you cut, let's say you cut the vessel, uh-huh. you seal the vessel, but that's real energy. That's called a bipolar instrument. It has two uh, lips, and it grabs the vessel and seals it by energy. But there's what also... What mean energy? Energy means like current, regular current. So electricity. Electricity, yeah. And uh, you can use an uh, ultrasonic instrument, which is called a harmonic. That's an ultrasonic wave. Okay. Uh, different uh, sources of energies. And there's another instrument that has both of them. And they all do different things. Let's say a surgeon wants to do a fast cutting. So y- he uses that one type of the energy. Or he needs a better ceiling. Then he goes slow. So <coughs> his, his wavelength change. His timing changes. So it's, it's not that simple. There's it so many things, details. To it's it. like playing an instrument. Literally, yeah, I don't please. Well, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, as far as like knowing how how to, how to actually operate the tool itself, exactly. it's like it's literally like yeah. I don't know, call it's it a science. Yeah, yeah. Well, you need to understand. That's why they do the fellowship primarily because mm. a lot of people think where well, you're a doctor, you can do everything. No, you can't. No, I mean, no, no. each specialty, mm-hmm. you have another year, two years, three years, depending on the complexity of that specialty, right? Exactly. And what do you, you get out of the fellowship. fellowship? Is you follow the person that is doing that job they're all different yeah you have highly qualified people who really teach you and uh, they can be very different fellowships could be successful not successful they have to like i interviewed uh, for fellowships and i traveled in uh, two months probably i had 30 flights all over the country i was i was looking for the best fellowship what i want to get all my life i was thinking to go to harvard to be honest i wanted like (laughs) i have to graduate harvard then i'll stop but then I did. I had didn't have an interview at Harvard when I did my fellowship. I didn't like that place for my specific fellowship because they had three hospitals and one person would be teaching you for that laparoscopy. <coughs> and I thought, yeah, it's going to be probably a very talented person, but that's only one person. But yeah. when I went to Duke, uh, there were three people. They would be following you, teaching you, and and I was right. It was uh, one of the best, if not the best, fellowship for uh, weight loss at that time because most of the top-notch uh, weight <coughs> loss surgeons came out of that uh, program, and they have huge uh, track of great surgeries and research and everything. And these people were giants of weight loss, and not only weight loss, also advanced uh, general surgery. So I learned from each one of them a lot of things, and I combined what I really liked about them. And everyone was very different. One was a female and two men. One was a little bit uh, older gentleman, another one is younger, my age at the time. And uh, I learned from all three very different techniques, and I'm using all of them. And I remember how they operated each one very differently. Combination. Combination, now. yes. That's amazing. Now, yeah. when you're talking about watching them operate, this is you're watching an actual doctor operate on a person? Yes. You're a surgeon at that point. No, 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 <laughs> I know. I know, I know. He's you're, assisting. You're, yeah, you're an assistant to the okay, surgeon. This is what yeah. happened. When I walked into the training, they showed you 
two weeks of operation, you would assist them. After two weeks, they put me in, in place and said, go, operate. You got to yeah. do it. You're you struggle. You go. It's difficult. I mean, you had, you did have basic training. So mm -hmm. laparoscopy, you can have basic training, meaning you do uh, gallbladders. That's a basic laparoscopic yeah. surgery. That's an easy surgery for us. We never like saying easy surgery, but that's something that a fellow of the resident, a graduate of uh, a general surgery, has to be doing in his uh, practice now. On the during my second year of training in uh, general surgery, I did 70 or 80 gallbladders only, the second year of training residency. Wow. Yeah. And imagine I did five years of general surgery and then I did two years of fellowship on top of that. So gallbladder is actually has to be really easy to do. But again, I'm saying easy, I'm just saying it Relative to other I things. never say yeah. easy. It's a lightly yeah. word. And the yes. gallbladder is the, is the organ behind the liver, correct? Yes, that's uh, where your uh, bile collects yeah. and injects when you eat especially fatty food. See, and everybody is different. So, I mean, you might get exactly. somebody who's overweight. You have to go through the fat. You might get yes. somebody who's skinny. Where, See, how long did it take you to kind of realize, okay, you know what? When I'm cutting through here or when I'm basically making an incision to go through and remove it, laser surgery or whatever right. it is. Yeah. How long did it take you? How many procedures was it for you to realize, okay, you know what? With this body, this is how we're going to go in. With the, with the heavier people, this is how we're going to go in. How long was? How long did that take? During all the training, it continues all the way. I would be honest with you. After graduation of the general surgery, my training, I didn't feel I was ready to go in practice for some reason. After when I did, it was 2006. But after the fellowship, I felt I can do it. I don't know. It's just something comes to you. It's like le learning the language. You know, when you know English, you learn the language, and it sounds like you know everything, but you can't talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like a dog, you know? <laughs> you understand everything, but you can't say anything. But then, and then there's a moment when you start talking, and it comes. It like comes out. Like you, you already talk in sentences very nicely. And that's, that's how I felt. And uh, once uh, you go through this whole hefty training with so many surgeons, uh, and residency is uh, harder in general because you work with 10, 15 different surgeons, and everyone is so different. Surgeons are very tough. They're very arrogant. They can be very pushy. They can, uh, you know, they're not nice to you. It's like you're going through military training. It's yeah. very, and, and, and there is a reason for it, there, and you have to do it. We never trust each other. I mean, I'll tell you. Like <laughs> residents, and we know that, we respect that. Let's say I'm a second or third year resident. We go and see the patient. The other person may go and check on the patient. Talk to me, go and double check. Make sure that I was right. And the other way around, and we respect that. Because human mistakes happen all the time. Definitely. And we understand that. We don't take it as, as an offense. Sometimes I see people say, oh, you don't trust me? I said this. No, we don't. We don't trust you. We go, we check, we double check, triple check. Right. And that's a and good that's thing. That's the right way to do. Of exactly. course. Mm -hmm. I mean, God forbid you make some sort of mistake. or We all do. Yeah, we all we're all mistakes. humans. Imagine left kidney. No, we removed the right kidney. <laughs> oh, but, but you know what I never understood is, um, when you do residency, why the intense hours? Like, why 48 hours? You don't have enough time for training. That, as I was saying, uh, you don't have uh, that six years or five years of training <coughs> is not enough for you to learn. They cut our, uh, our hours when I was in the residency. They removed, they cut the hours to 120 hours a week. 120, imagine. Like, 120 hours a week. 
and everyone was unhappy. There was not enough. A week? A week. A week? A week. Think about Seven it. Seven days? Yes. So there's a there's a law now in place that wait, you wait, cannot wait. make... 120 hours a week, you A say. week, yes. Wow. So That's you have, what, 40 hours, right? That yeah. usually is working yeah. a week. So we work 120 hours... And that's not enough for our training. I can say it again. Well, th that's mm. what I'm trying to comprehend is that. But and that's not enough. Like, surgeons are saying demanding, so this, uh, you know, their commission removes that requirement because that's not enough time. We worked at 130, 140 hours. Because, you know, well, you stay in a the week? hospital. Yes, a week. But how can you be... Working, focus every other day. How can you function But like how do you that? function? And do surgery you function. successfully. Is there well, a secret to job, that? Yeah, your job is not, at that point, as a first, second-year resident, your job is not to do surgeries. You're learning to, um, first of all, to... There's so many things you learn <coughs> in our residency. You learn to prioritize things. That's very important. When Where you does sleep fall in that prioritization? <laughs> <laughs> that ideally, if you sleep four hours, you You're should good. be good. Yeah. Now, let's you just count. Four times seven is 28. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... You literally are left with no hours in that week. Yeah, you're on call every other day. Do you take any of that sleep during those on-call hours? You can. Or? Let me tell you a story. When I was on pediatric surgery rotation, uh, the nurses complained to my attending, to my boss. Uh, I was a resident, uh, second or third year. They were complained that I didn't answer a page at night. So pediatric surgeons are very, very intelligent and very well trained. They're very good. And this guy, instead of coming and telling me that you know nurses are complaining, he pulled the report of the calls that how many pages I got overnight. You know how many I got? Twenty-two pages. Oh wow! I was answering the calls every you can count it what five, ten minutes or something like that. And he went back to the nurse without telling me that said, you know what, you guys have to kind of put all your questions in together at night. Give him half an hour, then page. Not page with every simple single thing. Yeah. Because for them, they sleep all day and they come at night and they start calling you like, <laughs> you know. They're up and about. Right. And, and, and I missed like one or two calls and they complained that I didn't answer. So I didn't sleep all night answering all this. So he went really explained them and then he told me later, after a week or two, that this is what happened. And I went back and I fixed it. So, yeah, it's... Like when I say it's military, it is really military. But that's training. good leadership. Now, good leadership is not easy to find. That that man was someone that actually took the steps he had to take. Yes. Nowadays, not too many people are willing to do that for someone. They just they're not. The, some some of the residency programs they created like pyramid, <coughs> meaning they take twelve people for the first year. They have only eight positions for the next year. So, mm -hmm. the other what four they have to go. So you're competing with the others. Mm. You compete and they take the best. They take those four of eight. And then uh, let's say third year, there should be seven. Special, One that's surgical, not surgical. general. Yeah, in general, like, like, yeah, surgery, general surgeons. And let's say at the end, only four has to graduate. So imagine, like you have 12 people, they have to go. It's like a chopping block, literally yes. chopping You just block. go. So it's a three-year fight against 12 other people, in a sense. Yeah, yeah but it's a survival. Yeah, it's survival. It's a fight. Yeah, it's just you go through this training. For example, see, like, <coughs> it's a good, you, you brought up Navy SEALs. Everything that they train the Navy SEALs is to be utilized in the battlefield, or right? Yeah, yeah. So 
that's, that's those what, 120, 130 hours that you think are not even enough, but that intense work ethic and, I mean, you have to absorb all that information and be able to apply it five, ten years later. Do you think that's effective training yes, or yes. it is? Let me tell you another story on that. <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I came, again, we're going back to where we started. When I started my training and uh, I was reading this whole information, I told you that I was studying eight to ten hours. I'm sure somebody remembered. Somebody maybe already forgot. But it, it, I went through this. And when I remember I was reading, I, did, I couldn't, like you said, you, don't, you go through this whole so much information. You read these books and you're like, I'm going to forget this. You forget, you read, 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 read. And then you know what I said? I said, forget it. I'm going to just read. I'm, I'm going to try to remember whatever I can remember. <coughs> and, and just trust yourself. Humans are very powerful. We don't even understand what we have, how we made up. Our this own is, capabilities yeah, are our capabilities not Our are so beyond that we even imagine. And I went through this, went through this. And when I was reading this, I... Had, I, I was writing with my hand, like remembering, remembering lectures, lectures. When I went second time, I remembered some of it. When I went thir third time over, I remembered more. Mm. And it stays with you, trust me. So it stays with you, whatever it is, it's an experience. So first bulk of information you take, which is the theory, right? Mm -hmm. Then you go through experience. And that's, do you remember experience too? I recall situations when I was, so tired overnight. I was stand, standing in the OR holding those hooks, and my surgeon was doing a vascular surgery. It's a very fine work. Delicate work. Delicate yeah. work. He was, I think he was doing fistulas for uh, dialysis patients. I was holding the hooks, and I was standing. I was sleeping. I was falling asleep, and I would move and jerk a couple times, and he didn't like it, and he was a tough surgeon. <laughs> this was in Portland. And... Uh, I said, I'm sorry, sir. I said, I didn't sleep all night. And he didn't say anything. And after the surgery, he was, uh, he could have been much worse. He could put some actions on me. He didn't. So, uh, yes, like whatever we're saying, it's real. We're mm -hmm. talking, it, it is. It is how it is. I mean, if I don't get eight hours of sleep, the next morning, it's like my focus is not there. And mind you, this is not, I'm not talking about brain surgery or vascular surgery or I'm not operating on a human being. It's, mine is just, you know, it's real estate. Real estate. <laughs> I, sell, I sell homes. But it's like my focus is not there and it's yeah. like your head is not in the right place. You, it, it just you don't function correctly. Now you're telling you're me. foggy, right? Yeah, you're telling me that you're working 128 to 130 hours yeah. and it's not enough. It's not enough. See, I mean, I just, I don't. That's why it takes a real, I think, unique individual to be, especially a surgeon. A general, just a doctor, you know, a family practitioner, maybe not so much. I mean, you still have to be able to go through the medical uh, school and pass the exams. Yeah, but, of course. But to become a surgeon, that's why so few of them make it. You have to have the right character. Yeah. You have to have the right even physical training. You physically, it's very hard to handle. I remember I was in uh, Portland again. We, got, we were talking, and uh, see, I recollect things. There was an emergency resident, ER doctor, that was doing rotation with us. Mm -hmm. She was so excellent. I was thinking, oh, wow, she's amazing, like in my mind, that how well she was trained. Uh, Native American, white girl, beautiful and great worker, hard worker, I thought she's much better than me. And uh, we were at some point in the, in the room, and she turned to me and said, oh, 
George, how can you guys do this? Like the work that we do? And it was the other way around. She turned to us like, how are you surgeons? You can handle this. Mm. And it, it, it was like, I don't know. We, we don't understand. Uh, who, who said that? He said that when you do every day what's possible, at some point you're going to do all impossible. So it's I a quote? It's, it's, yeah, it's a quote, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody look said it up. that, yeah. So that's, that's how I feel about surgery. And uh, if you really want to achieve, not only surgery, if you want to achieve something, you have to work hard and put your mind focus, right? That they asked, uh, they asked Gates, they asked Zuckerberg, and I think they asked uh, uh, Warren Buffett. And they all said, what's the one thing you have to do? They all said focus. Mm-hmm. Focus, like focus, like concentrate what you do. And you're going to get it. You'll do it. Yeah. By the way, you have... Several patients, I'm assuming they're patients of yours that are praising you as being the best doctor. Yeah. <laughs> and and even coming on the show today, uh, over the last week when people found out you were going to be our guest, I got a lot of messages saying, wow, he's, he's such a great doctor. And obviously, I don't know you personally, but uh, I got a lot of positive feedback from people who, who knew you personally uh, in the industry. Thank you. Um, and then we got somebody else, Jesus, saying um, he had the honor of scrubbing in with one of your surgical cases, Jesus oh, uh, yeah, Betancourt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he had a question talking about arteries. Do you also specialize in angiograms and angioplasty? No, I don't do arteries. That's why I said partial. Partial, partial okay. means I do varicose veins. Okay. I do only varicose veins, uh, mostly ablations. I don't do arteries. I think, yeah, I know why he's asking. I kept calling him Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) JC. Yeah. He he commented that. He was saying Jesus Christ. He brought quotes Jesus Christ. (laughs) Even Pedros Hajan, a friend of the show, saying hi to you as well. Thank you. Hi, Pedros. Uh, Armin Demirchen also has a question, um, which is actually... Great question. Great question, yeah. Um, Do you think getting a second or third opinion is... uh, necessary. I mean, is that encouraging the medical community? Yes. I think uh, the way I think is uh, the patient has to feel comfortable with the doctor. Doctor is not only, you know, sometimes it's very hard for us. We have huge volume. We have to go through the volume. We have to do our surgeries. We get very busy. I see 40 to 45 patients a day. Actually, they scheduled 65 for tomorrow, by the way. 65? So, yeah, I went back and I said, no, no. You guys, Is that you at the hospital? You're doing rounds no, or in what? My, in my clinic. In your clinic. The what? Yeah, you wow. can ask my girls. Uh, call my office. And they put 65. And I said, no, I'm not doing 65. Put uh, most of the follow-ups put on Friday because I'm leaving the country. And they're like, we can't do anything. I'm like, no. This is you by yourself. Yeah. That so even I, I, ten I, I, even ten minutes with the patient. That's I know. So you I, can't. Sixty five. So I told of them. <laughs> I told them ten hours. So I said reschedule. No, some doctors see even seventy patients. So well, like trust th- three me, minutes. I, I don't know how they do it, but I'm not ready for sixty five. So I said, usually I take time with my patients. But uh, so finally they called me. Yeah, you're good, doctor. Tomorrow you have 45 patients. Only <laughs> <laughs> 45. Only 45. Pretty good. <laughs> and then we do 15, 20 surgeries a week. I mean, some days I do six to ten surgeries. Six, uh, six to, ten to ten a day. A day, yes. And that well, they wow. give me two rooms. I know sometimes people don't believe what they. No, that's really. I'm honestly like I can say that that's how it is. In. And sometimes we go from start from seven to seven, seven to eight, and we stay and operate. We get really tired. 
So when that happens, uh, we sometimes may miss that uh, human touch. Or humane touch and yeah, connection with the patient. Some patients, you have to just <coughs> stop and take your time, yeah. like breast cancer patients or something that pe pe people are very upset or people who have anxiety or depression or the they fear. Come. Some people are afraid to go to the doctor. I'm one of those people. Yeah, I or, see or a doctor, they, I start shivering. Yeah, or yeah. they cry. You know, you, you can't just go through the patient. But sometimes that's, that's the balance we have to keep, and that's very difficult. What were you talking about? I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> about, <laughs> about how you would manage 45 patients a day and then 16 surgeries sometimes. No, it comes with the experience and the knowledge. So you do so many, so many times. The key is not to make the mistake uh, in the first place. You always keep you in the check. So we humans tend to drift off sometimes. You know, we, our concentration and things that goes off so you have to stay focused, follow yeah. so focused what you're doing and you learn in a hard way sometimes so it's better to learn on somebody else's experience than on your own because once you make one mistake even minor mistake that's going to come back and haunt you it's yeah. going to get you you're going to spend more time if you get an infection or something you have to bring the patient back reoperate do this and that patient is not happy you're not happy and you go through this and then you, it, it's not even in a form of efficiency, it's not worth it. And I'm not talking about, about the respect, doing the right thing, and, uh, you know, to taking care of the patient. Obviously, that's our uh, number one goal, mm -hmm. right? So it's not uh, feasible. It's not reasonable even for your work. So do a good job. When you're doing your <coughs> job, then uh, your patients are happy. Everyone is happy. They can't follow up. Hi, hi, how are you? I'm doing great. That's it. Next, you know? Mm -hmm. That's yeah. the best way to go. So, uh, but that demands a lot of energy. That demands a lot of concentration, a lot of uh, power that you have to put into each patient when you operate. When the patient is asleep, that's it. That's your job. You start, everyone is quiet. You take in charge and you lead during the surgery. Every move you have to know. You have to expect what the problems are. We go with an instrument laparoscopically inside the abdomen. I know I may hit the liver. I'm very careful. I'm watching it. I, I'm looking and I'm concentrating, not deliver, not deliver. I'm thinking like, okay, maybe a little bit more or less. So every minute you're thinking, do not cause a trouble, do not cause a complication. Yeah. So you don't have to deal with this after. Um, do you listen to any music during your operation? Yeah, when you go into this mode of you have, you have done so much and you're in safe zone and you know, okay, you're doing things that are not that d difficult. The difficult part of parts of the operations, you concentrate. You so tell no the music. You tell so the beginning <laughs> and then. You may have music, but you're very, uh, you you tuned with what you're doing. Right. You tell your assistant who is who may may not be experienced. Usually those are surgical techs like. Oh, they're not PAs. Uh, they're not physicians' no, assistants. Not necessarily. Okay. No, no. So that when they hold their thing, and I like to teach, and I tell them, do not pull too hard. You may tear because the instrument may not really seal the vessel that what you want to seal. So some gentle exposure. Surgery is all about exposure, meaning you got to see. You don't have to pull and rip things. So as long as you open, you see, that's all. Whatever you see, I see. So keep the camera in the right angle, right place. So you teach <coughs> all those things that and as you, you go. go. And as you go, yeah, and uh, you're yeah. very careful in the important parts. And so then you listen to music and mm. you do other things too. From what I'm hearing with all these stories, staff is an important factor as well. 
from very, what, very. Because from what it look, from what it seems like is the staff that you ha- have right now. It's a very well oil tuned machine where you're making sure surgery after surgery, patient after patient is scheduled a certain way. That's in an ideal world, but you're right. Uh, when the surgical team, the surgery itself, the OR, they know you and they know how many cases you have, mm-hmm. they try to accommodate you. They give you the best text. They give the text that you work with and you're good with them. Trust is the Trust one. and uh, skills, experience, and you have to be able to be able to work with that person. In general, I'm uh, pretty flexible in that sense. I can work. I don't have major issues and conflicts with, uh, you know, yeah. I I respect and uh, I take every tech, but sometimes you get techs when uh, it's difficult to work with them. And uh, the OR already knows how to match. It's a, it's a matching thing, so they match you. For doctor with tech, tech well, with doctor. There's administration that actually has exactly. training in doing that. Yes. Matching uh, people up is part of their program. Yes. They have people in charge of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, there's one more thing. If uh, something bad happens... You go back and look at every detail. Yeah, you can blame always the surgeon. Obviously, it's all surgeon's fault. That's what's going to be. And they're going to sue you. They're going to go take you this and that. But that's not always necessarily what happens. In the OR, even lighting is very important. The temperature is important. Your tech, your nurse, did they hear what you said? Anesthesiologist. If, let's say, I'm not blaming anesthesiologist, but there could be things happening. Like when they intubate, the way they intubate, they put the tube, they injured cords or there was an aspiration or this this and that and the patients are sometimes very difficult we have great anesthesiologists they're very good because uh, obese patients uh, i mean i do all obesity difficulty obese, goes very up. difficult neck is short <coughs> they can't open their mouth they can't see anything the vocal cords where to put the tube they're very good but what i'm saying is each step is very important and now when we're thinking of doing something in armenia that's what we look at things. We can't go, oh, one great surgeon comes and up. No, it doesn't happen that way. So you have to put all things in place. With the missing of one instrument, everything can go wrong. Of course. One instrument is not working properly. Everything or is, is missing. Or missing or it's not the good companies or it's something you're not used to, that you're not used to that <coughs> instrument. That's a problem. Is there surgeons that travel with their own Surgery kits. Yes, I've yes. heard there some surgeons, some surgeons that travel That's with correct. their own. Yeah. Now, Armin's question was more about: Would you feel uncomfortable if a patient said, "I want to go get a second or third"? No, opinion? absolutely. I I even recommend them if I feel. Okay. I I try to read the patient. Mm-hmm. When I talk about the patient and when I talk to the patient, I try to get everything out of them emotionally. All the questions they have. Sometimes they're worried. Sometimes they're nervous and. I take the time and I talk to them and say, do you have any questions? And then I see how the family reacts. I talk to the family members too. And I see there's still something they don't trust. Or there's something that, or maybe, you know, they didn't feel comfortable with me. Then I say, you know what? The best thing would be for you to get a second opinion and see how you feel about it. If you want to do the surgery still, you're welcome to come. If you don't feel comfortable, then it's up to you. You decide. My job is to provide the information. I can suggest you and say, let's say somebody comes to me and says, I want a sleeve. But I see that's a bypass patient because they have diabetes. They're huge. They want to lose a lot of weight. They, they're hypertensive. 
So I say, you know what? You want to do sleeve? I can do sleeve. No problem. It's still going to benefit the patient. But I think bypass is a better operation for you because of this, 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 this. And I feel like 60% bypass, 40 sleeve. And mm-hmm. by, bypass is when they take a piece of the stomach out. Is that correct? No, no sleeve is when you take the piece, piece of the yeah. So what's the gastro bypass? Bypass is when you reconnect. You, cre- you cut the stomach and create the pouch and then attach it to the small intestine. Oh, so you actually take, oh, wow. So you actually take, like cut the stomach literally in half. Yes. And then? And then reconnect it to the small intestine. So bypass works two ways. It works with restriction because Mm -hmm. you make a small pouch Mm -hmm. on top of the stomach. And then malabsorption because you're shortening the small intestine that gets absorbed, absorbs the nutrients. Now, let me ask you this. Does the stomach continue to grow? Yes. I mean, because, I mean, you, you basically shrank the stomach. Yes. Now, to 30, 40 milliliters. So when a person eats, they can't eat the amount that they would normally eat. For example, yes. a very obese person could finish, let's say, for example, right. a hamburger combo, mm-hmm. like from McDonald's or wherever yes. it is. When you do that, they could basically probably eat half of the burger, half the fries. So you're opening up the conversation about my consultation for weight loss. <laughs> this is like 30, 40 minute kind of talk. We can do that. I can do briefly. Very so brief. Yeah. Very brief. I'm just curious about <laughs> yeah, it because I mean, yeah, I'm not, sure. I'm not, we're a all headed that guy. way. We want to, we want to get the consultation know, before we get yeah. there. You don't need that. Trust me. <laughs> so before the patient decides on this and before we do anything, they have to do, this is a comprehensive program. You have to do nutrition and psychology consultation. And my very, very first question to the patient is, are you ready? If you're not ready psychologically for weight loss surgery, this is a wrong operation, and it's, you're going to fail, and we're not going to do well. And what does that mean? It means that you have to, have to mentally understand that you have to change. You have to stop your sugars and uh, sweets and other things. There are a couple things also you have to do. I always ask what you eat, how much, the balance, the types of the foods they eat, how much they sleep, do they smoke, what they like to do, if they have heart hernia or not, and they have uh, uh, heartburn, other things. So you go through all this uh, list. And then they have to do nutrition and psychology consultation. Nutrition is the dietitian is very important. They have to talk to them and explain that their whole lifestyle and things are going to change. They have to do diet about 7 to 10 days if they're really big, like we're talking 500 pounders. And then they have to lose some weight before surgery, 20, 30, 50 pounds. I ask them, please lose. And I give them three months, six months, so see how they do. If they can do that, then we proceed with surgery. And, and that's just to check to see how committed they really are. Is that the plus, reason? Plus it helps. Uh, not, that's not, not one of the reasons. Another reason is when you lose weight, your liver first shrinks by one to two inch. And things make easier to operate. And I gotcha. tell them. That's another thing is very important. Now, so what does the surgery do? Surgery does only two things. It controls your hunger and controls your portions. The rest is up to you. So if you go back to burgers, I can't do anything, and your stomach is going to grow. Because imagine your stomach is a ru- rubbery, muscular thing. You eat it, you're going to push, it's going to hurt, you're going to eat more, it's going to stretch. Once it stretches, your hunger comes back. You, yeah. you stretch can eat, some more. That's it. Yes, you stretch some more and you're done. So it was uh, then useless operation. It was yeah. a wrong thing to do. So that's what we now usually Now, as far as discuss. magnets, do you use magnets in a surgery for heartburn? Is there <laughs> something like that? Yeah. How I would what love do you mean to magnets? hear about that. Oh, I know. 
I would love to hear about yeah. that. So, <laughs> so there's a new device. Magnets for something. I I just drink alcohol seltzer when I have heartburn. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's some people that have a hard time. I mean, GERD yeah. is something real, man. That thing yes. is GERD is very you. common. GERD is very very important now uh, in gastroesophageal reflux disease. That's a disease when uh, you get that acid into your esophagus. Mm. If you have that for five, ten, fifteen, twenty years, you can have esophageal cancer. Oh, it is very serious. Yeah, you get Barrett's esophagus, metaplasia, dysplasia, then you get all these uh, things, and it becomes into the adenocarcinoma of your uh, lower esophagus. This and is with GERD. With GERD. But GERD, isn't it the basically the opening of your stomach, where, where the stomach's opening with the esophagus doesn't close? Isn't that what GERD no. is? You're asking great, great questions, but this is a lot of things to talk about. I know, about. I know. I'm just <laughs> yeah, you're right. No, you're absolutely right. I'm now, not getting any surgery, guys. Don't <laughs> worry. <laughs> now, uh, there's a lot of science into this, and uh, there are many reasons why people get GERD, okay? So one is the hernia. We can have hiatal hernia, if you heard that. That's, uh, hiatal hernia has different types. There's a sliding, there's a paraesophageal hernia, and others. All those hernias could be, it's like when you have G-junction, gastroesophageal connection, that's mm-hmm. a G-junction. So it can move up into your chest, then your fundus of the stomach can also go inside the chest. Some patients have half of the stomachs are in the chest, like right here. You take an x-ray. <laughs> you the, see stomach the stomach is right underneath the heart. Yeah, it's behind your heart, behind. Like it's so high, wow. half of the stomach. So all these patients, they suffer a lot. They can have... There's typical and atypical symptoms for GERD. Typical, we know. It's heartburn and all the things that we know. Atypical ones, when you have voice changes. Because mm. your acid really affects your vocal cords. Because you have that exposure. When you sleep, it, it hits your vocal cords. That gives problems. Or you cough. Because it go, the acid goes into your lungs. Or you develop COPD. And you don't even know. It's not a COPD. That's just GERD that went into your lungs. Acid went into your lungs. And wow. you have lung damage. And that's what causing you all this lung trouble. Or you keep constantly having pneumonia. So problems with your lungs. So all these things could be treated. Uh, that's if something like that complicated, what we just discussed. Uh, probably they need surgery. You have to pull this whole thing down, fix it. And then you fix the diaphragm. There's uh, also a mild uh, situations when you have that low esophageal sphincter. It's a muscle below, as you, you were mentioning, muscle below your esophagus. Uh, it's like a sphincter. Mm-hmm. Supposed to uh, keep the acid into from the stomach going from up, going yeah. up. But there's no anatomical sphincter per se. There's no sphincter. If you go and cut in the lab and see, there's no sphincter. But... It's a, it's a high-pressure point in that area that we call low esophageal sphincter. Now, there are tests for that to see. And those tests are, first of all, we do endoscopy. Everyone knows when mm-hmm. you put the light yeah. down and check. Everyone wants to do endoscopy. They come do endoscopy. There's an upper GI study or esophagram. When you drink the chalky thing called barium, you drink the barium and you take x-rays. And it shows you life, how that uh, um, barium goes up into your esophagus. And you know there's the travel route, yeah. basically. It travels up and down. And then shows your hernia and shows all the anatomy. And there are more advanced tests. Advanced tests would include manometry. And there's a pH probe study called Bravo. And there's an impedance study. Those are advanced tests. They're very unpleasant, but they're very important. 
you put this wire into your nose and it goes into the esophagus and then they make you swallow 10 times usually and they read the pressure of your muscles of the esophagus oh, wow. and then it, it, it kind of goes and shows you what kind of disease you have if you do have anything and it also measures your lowers the fidget sphincter that we just talked about and it tells you if it, that pressure is good or no. Yeah. Mm. Uh, that pH probe Bravo study, you put a capsule right on that distal esophagus, the lower esophagus, and then they count your pH. Remember the pH, that acid, pH, level. mm-hmm. yeah. pH levels? So it has to be below 4. Uh, I mean, if it's below 4, then your uh, instrument mm-hmm. registers. So depending on, uh, let's say it's 24 or 36 hours, whatever it is, uh, study, it counts how many times your pH uh, uh, went below four and how frequent, and then it gives you this demister score. It's a score that counts and proves that you do have that uh, acid reflex. Okay, and uh, so those tests are very important when you do those, and then you can uh, decide which procedure you need. Usually we go with fund application or the magnet. Finally, we got to the magnet. The magnet. Now, now <laughs> that is what we I want to know. We got magnets, <laughs> baby. We got magnets. Yeah. I got a couple of magnets here. So fund <laughs> application is when you wrap the stomach around the esophagus to create this uh, valve, kind of, yeah. that protects your acid going up, okay? Okay. And uh, you, a magnet is uh, the magnetic beads on the wire. You put it around the esophagus, you lock it. Whenever you swallow, those beads open up. When they open up, then uh, you can swallow, the foot goes down. And then the magnets, because they have this uh, magnetic pressure, they close they the valve again. Mm-hmm. They retract, they close up. And that's, that's called links. L-I-N-X, links. Links. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Links. Uh, my magnet. So the magnets are strong enough that they'll close the esophagus, but when the food, go, the acid won't come up. Yes. But, but the esophagus won't lose uh, over time. Esophagus function. is muscle, right? Right. In a sense, your yeah. esophagus is a right. muscle. Yes. So you don't think it'll damage the muscle over time? Is there tr- like there's a lot of study, that. a lot of study. Okay. This been in studies for om- almost ten years. Okay. So this is not a new. Oh, somebody decided and we started doing this. No, there's a lot of studies to it. My worry as a surgeon would be an erosion that it cuts because it's a foreign body. You know, yes. Lapan does give erosions and stuff. Mm-hmm. But apparently, this uh, uh, device only gives. Point one uh, percent. It's very low. Wow. Very for very being low. a metal object yeah, as well. Being and how often does that have to be replaced? You don't replace it. You it don't just stays it. it. No, it's a functional device that you're supposed to eat and drink uh, all the time. At first, every two to three hours, so you make it work. It's like Start a physiotherapy so basically for esophagus. Okay, fine. So training it does basically training. Yeah, so it doesn't scar down. So okay. it keeps moving. It keeps moving, working. Now, give me, let me tell our uh, viewers one more uh, hint, very important, that how people develop GERD. This is very important because not many people know. When you eat a lot, what happens is your stomach, the gastroesophageal sphincter I was talking about, so you fill up the stomach, and that muscle that we call low esophageal sphincter starts dilating. Contracting. No, opening up. Opening up, Opening up, loosening up. You know, when you play with some robbers, when you play a lot, they loosen up. Yeah. And that's called effacement. So the stomach that LES effaces, so opens up and loosens up. When it loosens up, then 
can give you the curve. Yeah. <laughs> so the point yeah. is to not eat much when you eat. Don't fill up, fill your, you know, fill up your stomach because you don't want that effacement happen to your lower esophageal yeah. sphincter. So the whole cause of GERD, in a sense, is portion Over. control. Portion control. Yes. Yeah. Don't over don't overeat. Don't exactly. don't, o- don't, don't eat until you hate yourself. Yes. <laughs> don't overeat. Very important. <laughs> don't eat emotionally. Uh, or that. Live to eat. It's, it's it's hard to say. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to do. It's easy to say. It yeah. is. It that's is. That's one yeah. thing. that's hard to do. Is like because the reflex of the eating takes thirty minutes or forty minutes. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot bec- until you feel uh, st- uh, full. Mm-hmm. So when you eat, you have to eat slow. Until that reflex from your body goes to your brain, says you're not hungry. That's enough. Yeah, that's enough. <laughs> Stop eating. Yeah. You, know, you probably remember you eat, eat it and they say, oh, I ate so much that I feel so... so yeah, bloated. The reflex got you, yeah. So, so you got to slow down when you eat. Yeah. You mentioned something about uh, lap band, right? Yeah. So do you do lap band procedures or... Because I, I noticed a lot of doctors are kind of shying away from the lap band and yeah. they're going towards the whole gastro surgery Sleeve and, and the sleeves. Yeah. yeah. The reason that happened is lap band is still uh, okay mm-hmm. to do. I don't do it uh, for a long time. I do it for only specific reasons. For some patients, I did recently several uh, over bypass patients who did have bypass and they stretched the pouch that we discussed recently. And they stretched the pouch, and I put the lap on there, and it's an easy operation and do really well, good results. But the reason we kind of we, we stopped doing um, other patients because we have great results with the sleeve and bypass now. When I was in the fellowship that we discussed earlier, uh, the, the problem with the leak was uh, 0.8%, almost 1%. Now it's... Uh, it's uh, Less than 0.1 percent. Wow. So we're doing much better, much better. So one in ten thousand, or ev- I mean one in thousand or uh, less, even uh, leak is a very acceptable risk. Because yep. lapant has erosion risk too, yes. has a slippage risk too, yeah. and sleeve and bypass are much better. Uh, they give much better results. And I've heard you could actually cheat the lap band. What I've heard is you can drink really warm water. Yeah. And the lap band itself will stretch out, and then you could eat as much as you want. You can do the same. So why would someone go get the surgery then? That doesn't make any sense. I understand that. Well, here's the thing. Remember, he mentioned it. He said, psychologically and emotionally, you have to be prepared for this. So if emotionally and psychologically you're not prepared for it, what you're going to do is you're going to cheat yourself. And somebody who has an eating disorder, I mean, I don't even want to call it an eating disorder. It sounds very harsh. But somebody who just loves to eat, they'll find any way to basically cheat the system to just... Enjoy whatever they they need the to system. enjoy. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's what it's well, called at the end of the day. The human system. You are cheating the human system. There are two types of hunger. So you, um, you people need to know this. There's a natural hunger that we really need food mm-hmm. for our biochemical Function. reactions, functions, muscles, this and that. But there's a second type that we're used to eating. It's an emotional eating that is an attachment. It's like a, it's like drugs. Yeah. Yeah. It's an addiction. Yeah. So they used to eat. When they get nervous, when they're depressed, they turn to food. They're stressed and they don't sleep. They go to food. So that's, that's the problem. So if they realize that and stop that part of the eating, and when I give them with the surgery hunger control and portion control, that's when they succeed. Yeah. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. If you look at, for example, try eating a plate of broccoli or zucchini, especially raw. You're going to have difficulty eating it because you're going to feel 
Fuller uh, Fast Gassy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Gassy as well, yeah. He, your family made He don't have that problem. <laughs> don't sleep next to your wife but after you eat it. Why? Because it's, for the most part, it's natural. Whereas if you eat cookies or chips, you could finish the bag because the thing has so many chemicals in it that actually get you addicted to. You can finish yeah. a bag without feeling, it's a feeling sugar, man. at all full. It's a sugar. So Has anyone gone through that? Let me just take two more. Let me just take two more. Let me, let me and, and, and that's where the problem lies, I think. Ice cream, chips, all yeah. these processed foods that pretty much you can't stop eating. The more you eat, the more you want to eat. Remember when I was on keto? Yeah. It took me three, well, not that I would say three weeks, maybe about two weeks to get the cravings out completely. Yeah. yeah. Because you love sugar, right? I love sugar. Yeah. Like the cakes, the, the breads, the pastas, <laughs> all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It was the morning I woke up, I, I, was, I was going on, and I did keto for two years. I, did, I woke up in the morning, I said, okay, I'm not going to have a bagel, I'm not going to have a croissant, and I'm going to have my coffee black. Mm-hmm. By the time it was maybe 10 o'clock in the morning, I was like jittery. I was like, oh my God, I need, yeah. I need to have something in my system as far as something sweet. It's like a drug. It is. Sugar is 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 as highly addictive yeah. as any drug out there. What happens is your sugar, when you eat uh, a lot of sweets, uh, it stimulates your insulin um, insulin production, mm-hmm. and insulin goes very high in your blood, trying to um, take Control. care of it, regulate it, yeah. regulate it, and then the sugar goes away. Insulin stays. When insulin stays, it tells you, "I need more sugar." Oh, see, and you start asking. So you get into the cycle. Of getting sugar, sugar, and you don't get uh, full because your insulin wants more and more sugar. You're feeding yeah. an addiction. In yeah, so you got to stop it. You have a little drug addict there. Like, give me more, give me yeah, more. Literally, <laughs> literally. <laughs> I want more. And it was crazy. When I would, do, I, would, I would buy pH strips and I would check the pH level in my body, the P, my pH levels were higher because the sugar was, I didn't have any sugar. Because yeah, you were more alkaline uh, at that point. Yeah, 30, 40 grams of sugar daily. Wow. That's what I was taking I don't taking even do in. that now. I have less. It was like basically I was diabetic almost. Like it's a diabetic's diet. Mm -hmm. We have a couple comments. Let me read it real quick and then we'll get to. Because I know recently you also went on this retreat, which I want to talk about a little bit, which was very interesting. Um, Ashra Alat said um, you saved her life and uh, she prays for you every day. Thank you. Um, Anne Gev uh, says her sister had surgery with, with you and had an amazing outcome. And now she's having it in October next month. Um, Caroline Saw mm. mentions uh, what I love about Dr. Mutafian is that he's an he, amazing human first. Uh, then he's an amazing doctor, which which is something I've I've heard a lot about you. Thank you, Caroline. Is that you truly approach every patient as an individual rather than just a number as a medical record number, um, and I think that that's a very important trait as a doctor first of all you have to have be sympathetic number one if you're not you shouldn't be a doctor if you can't put yourself in that patient's shoes go do something else you know especially with the weight loss yeah yeah as a surgeon i mean you're because you're putting them under you have to the outcome with the process their body's never going to be the same um and uh i think we had Another one here. May I answer this? Of course. This one comment I want to make sure. in regards to that. That's, sure. that's very important to me. Sometimes I feel that doctors are not treated fairly. And the reason I say that, because when I was just going through the training and stuff, and I felt that some patients were not fair to what we do, uh, and I talked to my brother about that. He said, listen, 
you're going to do your best and you're going to do so much and put so much training and you're doing this and you're going to take care of the patients. And there's always going to be people who are going to say, you're bad, you're terrible, they're going to go through you. And you can't take that very personally. For some reason, I do take it personally in the sense that I want to get better based on that. I know I can't be superhuman, but there are things that you still can't change. And uh, it does happen on daily basis, uh, not daily, <laughs> but it does happen sometimes uh, when you do have uh, issues and you don't feel that the patients sometimes fair to what you do and right. what the comments and things they do. And it just hurts. You know, sometimes you do a mistake. You know you did a mistake, and you apologize. We talk. You go through. You take care of it. I'm for that. That's a good thing. But when you don't feel that you put in so much effort, and there's so much effort and so much, much uh, knowledge and experience into work, and they come back with completely unrelated or wrong comments and inappropriate things they say or do, I can bring an example, like one thing that I remember when I came to first time to LA in our uh, surgery, and I'm so trained, you know, we talked about laparoscopically advanced this and that. So I was working at Hollywood Presbyterian, and uh, I operated on this lady. She was she had an incisional hernia, and I did laparoscopically on the side. They barely see a tiny three holes on the side. The next day, I'm coming and rounding on the patient, and I'm feeling so great. I did a great job. Put nice mesh. Everything is perfect. And, oh, we controlled the pain and everything. She goes home in a day or two. And then uh, the sister jumps out of the room, starts yelling at me. Like, I'm like, what happened? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> is, uh, not even the, not the patient, the like, sister, yeah? The daughter, I think the daughter, the daughter of the patient, yeah. She is insane. You didn't operate on my mom. I said, what do you mean I didn't operate? I did operate. I don't see an incision. I'm like, <laughs> what's what good you you <laughs> She's like, no, why didn't you open? You had to cut it her open to do the surgery because you could see better. What is this? You didn't you did do a good job. So she went on and on. And on. Oh, come on. What, what can, what so can you didn't know what to answer. How do you answer that? Christ. I'm like, come you know, I went through on the side. I know I saw it. I did, I did a great job. <laughs> it's like I had my, I had my four hours of sleep, that's for sure. And I was here yesterday. <laughs> this person's complaining about how little... There's no incision. There's basically. no incision. He did a clean yeah, job. No so because you did too well... There is a complaint. Yeah, she can't talk about it. She can't show any scars to talk it. about what she yeah. went through. Man, I can give her some scars. <laughs> <to share>. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what do you want? You want me to open your chest up so you can say, oh, look, I went this through open like heart very surgery. Wow. Things yeah. I think I'm she saying. wanted to show her uh, relatives a few more scars. There's sometimes patients are so unreasonable yeah. that you have no answer for that. Like they come to you and say. So she feels good, though. There was nothing she wrong. She did great. With she went home. She hernia is gone. And she's wow. <laughs> she did excellent. She was fine. It's just the perception of, oh, somebody walks into your uh, office and he barely closed the door and he's yelling like, I have this, I have that. You gotta do this. You gotta. I'm like, come on. Why did you come to me? <laughs> just go, you know everything. You know what just go to do, do it yourself. Just go <laughs> do it somewhere else. What, he, like, he read it on <laughs> WebMD. <or laughs> yeah, literally. I know. Like what that. was your reaction? I mean, nothing. I, I don't know what to say. Imagine, you, you can't say anything to that. Imagine how difficult 
how difficult it must be. I, I'm not. I'm just in senior health, and I deal with nonsense. I can't imagine what you Being deal a with. Being surgeon, like people will go on WebMD or they'll read something stupid, and now they think they want to just they just finished their fellowship, <laughs> and they'll you know, come to I, you. We're not right? saying WebMD is bad or Google. Google can be bad. Sometimes there's lots of wrong information. But let's say you go in a good place and you read something. But the problem is sometimes it doesn't apply to a situation. Yeah. That's the point. So if you read something and it's straightforward, you didn't know, understand the details of the things. Or your mom or whoever you we're talking about, they don't have exactly what you're talking about. And I'm giving you different options. And you have to, the whole point of what we do is in the details. So the details do not match. Picture pic changes yeah. right away. Everything changes. You can't judge uh, uh, my performance or somebody's performance or what we say based on just uh, WebMD said this and that. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. It yeah, it's not. You're way. not shopping for a car where you so say here's specific the invoice. Let me give you I don't <laughs> get involved. When I'm, when I'm talking about surgery, specific professions, if I don't know anything about that profession, yeah. I'm going to go to someone that does. I'm going to try to go to the best possible person that's referred to me. Yeah. Now, if I feel the connection, that's the only way I'll go forward. Yeah. That's it. Well, yeah, of you course. You have to trust that person that's been yeah. doing that. And if you, have a, if you have a question or you're not sure, go. we talked about second opinion. Second go opinion. get a second surgeon. See what it's never a bad thing about you second You feel comfortable opinion. with that surgeon? I'm so happy for you. Honestly, I yeah. can look and say I'm very happy if you found a surgeon that you liked and they did your surgery. That's the best thing for you. Yes. Maybe I didn't, wasn't a good fit. That's fine. Yeah, and make sure you make sure you ask them how big big of a scar they're going to leave. I mean, if you're a scar, <laughs> some man, people are into that, man. <laughs> if you're into that type of stuff, <laughs> ask them. Can you leave a big scar? Please? Let me give you the best example for WebMD. WebMD is like the Zillow for real estate. Yeah. I go to a client's house. They say, "Well, Zillow says my house is worth 1.2 million." I'm like, "Well, has yeah. Zillow come into your house and seen your bathroom that's falling <laughs> apart?" It, that's literally yeah, they what look it at is. square footage in. That's it. Yeah, how that's how it. You know, Zillow didn't check. Well, Moving on. <laughs> I mean, well, I, I kind of want to get back to, because it sounds like you're an expert in more so the gastric area, which is the stomach, and right, in a sense. And I, I to me, the stomach is probably the most interesting organ because in, with Eastern medicine, correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. with Eastern medicine, the stomach is considered the second brain. So it pretty much controls everything in your body, and that's why eating the right things is important, right? Oh, you're opening up uh, another big well, <laughs> topic. Well, okay, no, because I want to get into that and okay. then your, the all retreat right, you did with it. the fasting and let's all that because that's kind of all related. Well, I wouldn't uh, say stomach, but if we're talking about that now, probably we should talk about uh, energetic centers in the human body, if that's what you're referring to. We have uh, lots of people know what chakras are and things mm -hmm. are. That's a new science that is developing. Right. We have all these uh, seven chakras, those are en energy points that the Eastern medicine is referring to, meridians, and they go through energy through the whole body right. and things. Pra so uh, related to pranic healing as well? Is that the same chakras yeah, or Prana different? is the energy, right? That's the chi yeah. that flows through uh -huh. the whole body and energies. Now, uh, prana is in India. Chi is in China, right? Okay. China is pretty much, it's, I believe it's the same. Identical. I'm not the expert yeah. in that, but that's what it sounds like. But what you're referring to is the chakra where the stomach is, has that uh, chakra in the middle. There's one on the tailbone. There's another one uh, 
around the umbilicus that's called Kundalini. There's another chakra. There's third one is right where in the in the middle where the stomach is. Mm -hmm. That's that's I think that's a yellow color. They're, they all have colors. So red, then we have orange, then yellow. Then you come to the heart. Heart I believe is. Uh, was it blue? It's responsible for love. And then we have the thyroid, the green. No, thyroid was blue, I believe. Yeah, sorry. Uh, and then, anyway, so colors correspond. And there's indigo color when they say, say third eye, right in the middle of the eye. Mm. That's Pituitary? The ep ep epiphysis. I believe that's epiphysis oh. rather than. And then we have right on top, there's a yellow or even violet color. Mm -hmm. So all those energies that they flow flow and things, we don't know much about this. Uh, maybe some people who meditate, gurus and things, we can talk. But um, I was reading recently, I was watching some interesting videos that people now trying to put science behind this. And uh, there's a lot of physics. Apparently, they can define now that our biofield and they get to define how it flows and then they talk about, um, you know, when you go through life, you mm -hmm. leave a trace behind you. Uh, that trace is then goes and collects with your body and, you know, there's like soul and spirit. They explain that it affects you. There's a karma involved. Mm -hmm. So all these things are connected and they can measure it. So that's, yeah, there's another part to the human being. That's when you say, yeah, you're a human being because there's so much... Uh, on the side, when you talk to the patient, you have to understand you are in communication with the patient's uh, not only body. We're not things. We are so complex in our uh, mental, uh, psychophysical world that we have these magnetic fields around us and mm -hmm. things that we communicate and we... Um, so when we talk, and uh, you have to treat them uh, with the word, with uh, your even energy, with the voice, the way you talk, the way you look, that everything affects the person. And you have to make them comfortable so they trust you. And when you can do that, then uh, you both are on the right path, you know, to take care of that problem together. If there is no partnership between the physician and the patient, on many, many levels, different things that we just talked, then uh, the chances of uh, success is going to be low, I believe. Mm. That's very important to me. Yeah. I mean, it, so it sounds cliche, mm. but I think it's, it's very true. It's real. It is real to me. So There's a, ton, there's a ton of people commenting. There's let's, a, let's uh, go to Jenny's. Jenny's got a question about enzyme studies for ingestion issues. Have you looked into... Oh, yeah. There's a lot for weight loss. Do you do enzyme studies for uh, ingestion issues? Indigestion. Indigestion. So uh, there's a lot, a lot of studies that people, uh, weight loss uh, is a very complex uh, science that uh, we keep learning lots of new things. There's a thing uh, about 10 to 15 enzymes in uh, body cytokines and uh, things that get produced due to the weight loss. We know that when you create those stress hormones and uh, that that's one of the reasons when you have to have a good sleep for the weight loss so if you don't then you make uh, 
cortisone and other hormones that uh, really put you in stress situation and you do not lose weight. So all those enzymes and things that she's talking about, that goes into the research. We know there's a, lo a lot of enzymes are involved with uh, gaining weight and losing weight. And that's one of the reasons why I was mentioning earlier that bypass is sometimes better operation because those enzymes change mm -hmm. and things change and they uh, we get um, a better response with uh, bypass for uh, diabetes, for hypertension, and uh, better weight loss because they some somewhat change those uh, numbers and uh, the levels uh, than uh, lap band or even sleeve. Now, in Brazil, they did some uh, uh, studies. What they did is they did bypass on non-obese patients, on diabetic patients, trying to divert that food from duodenum. So f duodenum doesn't touch the food. We're onto something here. <laughs> yeah, so, so they, don't, uh, they don't produce these enzymes and other things, thinking that that's what really creates all these problems and they can treat diabetes. But they didn't do well. I mean, they didn't, didn't really help. There's another way. There's another doctor from Italy. He created this sleeve, plastic sleeve, that you put into the stomach around the pylorus so it covers the whole duodenum so food doesn't touch the duodenum going through the intestines so it doesn't and get ingested it doesn't no it does get ingested but it doesn't stimulate those enzymes mm. those hormones oh. so they're not produced okay so there are some studies she's uh, probably she read something somewhere and uh, or she's a specialist she understands what she's uh, you know that that's very important well, to Jenny has many yeah, she reads a lot. She, she reads, reads a lot. Yeah, she <coughs> reads a lot. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, she's correct. There's a lot of studies are happening. Or let's talk about the simple one, ghrelin. There's a ghrelin in the fundus of the stomach that is responsible for our hunger. When we do sleeve, we remove the fundus of the stomach, and that ghrelin goes away, and it uh, helps to reduce the hunger. So you don't think about food as much? Is you don't feel food? hungry. You don't mm. feel as hungry. But again, those are in, uh, uh, you know, it's been 15 years maybe that we're going through this uh, research and things, and uh, that's, uh, that's coming. I mean, weight gain, uh, I know we all talk about this as a, oh, close your mouth or zip your mouth. This is very <laughs> complex, okay? <laughs> that's, not, that's not how it works. Uh, weight gain is much more complicated. It multifactorial, meaning that it has, does have many, many reasons why people gain weight. In the U.S., we have a big problem with this. We have about two-thirds of the U.S. population uh, uh, overweight. Uh, One-third is obese, big time. One so third. we do operate only on 1% of the people who qualifies for surgery. Think about it. Like weight loss surgeons, we do only 1% who qualifies for this surgery. That's a very minuscule number. So if, so if a thousand people qualify for it, only 10 of them are going to get the surgery. Yeah. Wow. The, in, in the whole country. This is a big deal. And this That's is insane. a billion dollar loss for the country and for the medical field and everything. And the surgery is really, even economically, they're very, very feasible. What's the reason behind it? Like I said, my multifactorial. There's so many the food, the uh, exercise, the uh, you know the types of the food, the amount of the food, and uh, there's so many things that we can't uh, 
really get uh, our hands on, and uh, yeah. we're trying to. It's all about prevention. How we about thyroids? Thyroids have. A do thyroids yeah. really have? We we do know that thyroid is associated when you have a low thyroid. It's yes. called myxedema. But again, we treat it. So that that's one of the tests, very first tests that we do. Everyone mm. does. The primary yeah. care physicians and everyone they we check thyroid first. We treat it, but then we take. I mean, then we do go through the weight loss process. It, it all starts from the food industry. You walk mm -hmm. into a 7-Eleven, you walk into the candy aisle, you what is it? You don't walk in. Well, simple. Solve <laughs> the damn issue. I've done that, bro. Just, better set, I mean, soft. listen, that's you, but I mean, there's so many other families out there that, you know what, he's like, I, I want to just go grab a water or a it's Red Bull. It's fast and cheap. Yeah. I mean, yeah. fast and cheap. If you're under stress, you work hard, you grab it because there's, what else would you do? Let's say you run around, you have a lot of work, you're driving. You have to get from A to B. You need to eat. Where do you go? Straight to 7-Eleven, get a hot Look, dog, and run, jump right back in the car. So now yeah. imagine you take your kid with you. For example, you're running some errands. you got to grab some food. You hop into a 7-Eleven, grab a hot dog, grab a soda. This is all irrelevant. My question is, how do you feed yourself as a surgeon? Well, look, I've been... That in itself is a science. When he's got to do surgery, mm -hmm. the feeding schedule, he's got to feed himself... Correct. That's a throughout all this. This is something that's, he's that's got a, a problem. So we have our physician's room has uh, food, but that food is usually is not healthy. Processed food. Yes. Yeah. So you see, that's uh, that's where we have to start. We have to go. Food to is fuel. That's what I understand it. Food as. companies uh, have yeah. a lot of lobbying. Food companies are very powerful. I know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, look, go, my, go, my go, wife go. doesn't eat the cafeteria. Uh, she, she doesn't eat the cafeteria food at her hospital. She go, takes go her own to, lunch. Go to the hospital cafeteria one day for lunch and see how many healthcare professionals are having Coke, a burger, fries, like something you get out of McDonald's. Mm -hmm. Very few of them, even if they grab a salad, they're drinking diet, Coke, thinking that's okay. That's worse than, in my opinion. But that's a society issue. That's not well, a exa one person. It's a, it's a social issue. issue. Of course yeah. it is. It's yeah. a social, and you can't fix that by uh, just... Well, stop eating so you don't gain weight. No, the society has to change because in America, we don't eat to live. We live to eat. Live. That's the problem. Okay, we I consume. think we're closed off. The issue is we're closed off because the rest of the world has portion control. We Th don't. That's what I'm saying. We eat seventy. We consume seventy percent of the food in the world, and we're only what three hundred forty million. How much of it do we throw away? That's another uh, thing. Go we to go to a Las Vegas buffet. You'll see how much of they it don't they don't throw, throw away. it away. Yeah. They don't throw it away. There's pig farms in Vegas that well, take well, care of that well, issue. Well, that, that, that is <laughs> and then we eat the pigs. See, yeah. the worst part is this. Like, for example, if I'm on the run, and it's happened to me several times, and I hate myself for it. You, you have a busy day. 12 o'clock passes. 1 o'clock passes. 2 o'clock passes. You Your still have not already you're, started. Yeah, now you're feeling hungry. You're like, oh, man, I have another appointment. I have to go meet with the client. What do you do? You pull into a drive-thru, grab something quick, eat it on the go. What happens? You finish the meal. You go, oh, my God, I hate I myself now. That, yeah. But now you're at your meeting and you can't think straight. Of course, yeah. But <laughs> you know what it is? It's like he said, you eat to kind of just fuel yourself. That's let's, let's start from the beginning. Like, let's take a kid who is going to school. Like, they feed that poor kid, and especially if he has a genetic predisposition to obesity yeah. and family, they eat a lot. And... And, uh, you know, sometimes I think uh, we're too politically correct, too. There's no pressure on that kid that, oh, he has to be fit, he has to play. We have mm. to be very careful not to say, oh, you're chubby, or you're fat. Yeah, but or the you problem that. is in and schools now, they're trying to not let them move. 
They want whatever That's crap we're feeding our kids. Yeah. They don't want them to be able to work it off anymore. Plus, there is no pressure on the child yeah. to be fit or do anything. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but we have to be careful. We have to balance things. We have to tell that kid that you gotta, you gotta do it. You eat right. It's not, you know, um, you. You don't have to offend the child and cause psychological problems. <laughs> we all understand that. But, but you but can you offend the parents. You, yeah, you, you bring the parents, you talk to exactly family and create that situation. So we have to go back to the roots. We have to go back to the basics, to prevention. We have to prevent this happening from the beginning so the child doesn't come to, to me yeah. when she or he is 18 years old and they're 350 pounds. Yeah. Now, see, that's where we have to start. Fasting has been gaining a lot of momentum lately, like whether it's intermediate fasting or whether it's you fast for... There's a lot of programs out there that I actually get uh, called yeah. on a lot from different companies because for some reason they think there's a doctor's office and they call here so we can promote their program. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> well, pass them over, amigo. <laughs> Remember Vi came to our podcast. He was fasting, what was it, four days? Yeah. He four days, he had not taken um, any solids in. Yeah. Well, these are these are different ones. Uh, well, Argo, remember, did a 41-day juice fast. He only drank juice for 41 See, that's days. that's insane, man. Why is uh, that insane? There's so much. In, you don't really need to have that food. The, you need the minerals and the vitamins. You need those. But you have to be cautious. I think you have to be monitored. Yeah. You can't just yeah. decide, oh, I'm just going to do a juice diet and then yeah. Look, I just can't, do it at I home. can't do a juice diet or fasting. Right. I'm diabetic. I'm not going to take that right. chance. You well, got to be smart about but, it. But, but if you're a fit 23-year-old, mm -hmm. fasting is not a bad thing. Because there's a lot. I mean, I've been reading a lot about, for example, let's say if you do a 24-hour water fast, that kind of resets your liver function. Mm -hmm. If you do a five-day um, specific fast, that resets your immune system. If you do this, that, whatever it is, what, what's your thoughts on fasting and that yeah. intermittent fasting that it's good for your body for you to only consume food, let's say, six or eight hours a day, the other 16 or 18 hours for you to not consume anything, just water. There's, there's a lot of thoughts to it. As you know, there's so many diets on things, and every doctor or whoever came up with that uh, idea of fasting mm -hmm. and losing weight, they have their own explanations. But the way I look at it is, the, again, going back to nature. Let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. like, if you think about it, first of all, let me tell you, when you fast, what happens is your body thinks that uh, you don't have food and it starts slowing down all your metabolism. Mm -hmm. Your metabolism drops by 40% when you don't uh, eat anything. So fasting, per se, uh, just because you want to not eat anything is not going to make you lose weight because you're slowing down metabolism. Or rather, obviously, if you don't eat for seven days, you're going to lose weight. But, right. but that's not the right way to do it. So your body is used to uh, humans in thousands of years. We recently, uh, you know, in thousands of years, we were hungry. We would get some food, eat, and we would become hungry again. There were cycles of hunger and finding or hunting, whatever we did. Hunger and fullness. Hunger right. and fullness. So that's, that's, that's how the body learned. Now, let's, let, now, in recent this 200 whatever years, we eat every day and we eat more and more. That's not what the body is trained for in the genes, in our genes. I believe that fasting is a good thing if, because that's what your body is uh, used to. So because of what we just discussed. So 
And yes, why metabolism drops? Because our genes tell the body, our body says, okay, now we're hungry, we've got to wait, we've got to save uh, survival the energy, mode, basically. survival yeah. mode, yeah, until we get the next portion meal. of the meal. How do you lose weight? What's the right way to go? Now, number one, first, first of all, you have to get uh, protein, very important. Protein is supporting your um, muscles. You have to have your proteins to get your muscles moving. You have to protect your uh, immune system, and you have to have some strength to function. So protein is very important. Uh, I'm not saying in large quantities, like we do Armenians eat a lot <laughs> of barbecues and things. Nothing wrong with Armenians. No, but uh, <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> but usually you need uh, one gram per kilo protein. Usually the real number is 0.8 gram per kilo for a normal person to function daily. I so if do you my math it on this. At this <laughs> no, it's very easy. So one gram per kilo I, uh, from, for your ideal body weight. If you go, let's say somebody's you're very stressed or somebody's sick or not, then 1.5. Septic, critically ill patients, they need up to two grams per kilo. Of protein? Of protein. If they're septic, really? Yes. yes. Wow. So, but if you give more... There's no benefit to it usually. Ah, yeah. I remember. That's why they would give those protein shots. Exactly. Like, yes. like okay. TPNs and things, they're all calculated yeah. by these numbers mm. that I'm giving you. And then you go by the amount of your uh, uh, fats and uh, carbs, right? Then you go 60-40 you, you know, you go 30-70% of each. And then you calculate the amount of the day and that's how much you need. So if you don't need fats and carbs, you're okay. Don't worry about that. So you're going to get that somehow, somewhat, or your fat will melt. And, uh, but you do need your protein. Then you need your vitamins. Vitamins are very important. Minerals. Minerals, very important. Very and water. Water, hydration, hydration, very important. So those are the key things that uh, you have to have. And uh, the rest, you can play any way you want. You want to cut your carbs. You want to cut your fat. You want to do portion. this and that. Yeah, portion and, and balance. So... When you s I say balance means you get your protein and you have the right balance of fats and uh, carbs mm -hmm. and see how much you need. Uh, let's say for my weight loss patients, they need about twelve to 1,400 calories a day to lose the weight. So if you want to maintain your weight so you can have a little bit more, you calculate how much activities you do, how much you burn. If you're running, you're cycling, or you're doing something, then you go, what, 500 to 700 maybe. Maybe you go to 1,000 a day each time with your exercise of calories. And then uh, don't forget, you have to drink a lot of water, and uh, you lose water also with your uh, breathing. You have to know that you we do lose really? sweating and breathing. Yeah, so it's not only... You know, like. So does that explain why there's much uh, like skinnier people? When you go to Yerevan, a lot of these people are skinny. They walk a lot. They walk. They walk. And that's the reason. Walking is the key. Yeah. Yeah. Constant movement. Uh, we had a great comment here. Uh, Aram was asking, uh, and this is something I've read as well. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts about eggs? The consumption of eggs. There's been a lot of talks recently about they're saying, you know what, stay away from the eggs. Don't eat eggs. And then there's vice versa where they say, oh, eggs are a great source of protein. Yeah, whites are, but I think they say not good for the cholesterol probably. That's it. That in the, yeah, that's what I would say. I mean, you, you can't really concentrate on one thing and yeah. uh, fight over it. I think everything when you eat is in moderation is good. Just go ballpark. You calculate how much you need and uh, the portions and things. I usually recommend not to watch TV, not to talk when you eat. 
And I don't like when people take everything from everywhere. They, they don't have a control over what you eat. So have a plate, put everything on the plate. You know how much you're eating. You know what you're eating. And then eat it. And I would also say throw something away. We don't like doing that. <laughs> I mean, it's we yeah, here's what I do. Yeah, the I get up and leave. So yes. this is kind of not accepted in our community. Mm-hmm. But to help myself, mm-hmm. now I just put my plate. I finish my plate. And I grab it and leave. Yeah. How about I'll if there's other people sitting at the table? I'm going to worry about myself. I'll excuse myself. Come back in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you, you'll just get up and leave? I'll get up and leave. I'll say, I'm sorry, I'll be right back. I'll get up and leave. 10 yeah. minutes later, now when I come sit down, I'm not hungry anymore. I use that yeah. trick on my own. Because yeah. I know I, I'll just keep eating. I'll just sit there, talk and eat, talk and eat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who was on our podcast that said the same thing you did? Don't watch TV and eat. Yeah. I think it was Antic, right? When he was going through that nutritional thing. I, yeah, what I is the what is the reasoning behind because you, that? Because you put it on your subconscious. You just eat and go, and you're watching. Your consciousness uh, away from your eating. You're so not you processing you, the fact you're that not you're processing eating. The what you're eating, how you're eating, how much you're eating. You're not concentrating. Remember, we said focus on everything. Yeah, so yeah, eating focus. is focus. Yeah. So just even, focus. Even that's why one of the main, I think, what's wrong with uh, how we eat in the U.S. is we drive and eat, right? You get drive through, you eat. Bec- when again, this is something a Eastern um, medicine specialist told me years ago was, when you're eating, he said, don't watch TV because your body has to focus on digesting that food. When you're fo- when you're watching TV, your brain is focused on two different things. When you're driving and eating, you're trying to focus on driving and digesting that food. So it's not it's not 100 percent efficient. Sit down, enjoy your meal, take 30 minutes. You're not going to be late to anywhere. Let Unless you're a surgeon. That's a hard thing to do when you're a surgeon. <laughs> also, you're thinking of uh, from Eastern medicine side that you eat with love. You consume yes. with that energy. Yeah. You have think about the food. Preparation. And concentrate. Preparation. Yeah. And, All of that. and that's why preparation is key. I've noticed anytime I prepare food, I eat less. Because just throughout the preparation, you kind of maybe try here and you there. You see the amount of food you're putting yeah. together and, yourself. And you're almost full, whereas you go buy a package of whatever, you th- you know, from a restaurant or some pickup. You pick or, it up somewhere. Like a salad. You go you're grab a eat salad. The whole thing. If you don't look at what it says on there, yeah. you don't know what you're eating. Some mm-hmm. of these salads have so many dried cranberries that are high in sugar. Mm-hmm. And what and are you eating the at dressing. The dressing is, I think. Well, yeah, the you know, yeah, you have a choice in the dressing, but some of the things they add in there. Or when look, you think yeah. about it, this salad has twelve hundred calories. At because this of point. the dressing, majority of the time, actually. Yeah. Try yeah. it like a balsamic vinaigrette. Yeah. It's simple. That's why at home I always make my own dressing. Yeah. I never use bottled dressing. I'll come by, but you yeah. know, you were talking about <laughs> prepping and uh, prepping yeah. and uh, portion con- and like basically you could you don't eat as much. My dad had a friend in uh, Gumri, and he was a chef, mm-hmm. very obese. But he was like, I never have a chance to eat when I'm when I'm working because right. he's like, I'm prepping the food. So he went to uh, he went to a doctor and the doctor was like, you have cholesterol, you need to watch what you eat. He's like, I don't eat. The doctor told him, when you go to work the next day and you're prepping the meal for that banquet hall, he's like, do you taste everything you're making? He goes, yes. He goes, okay, mm-hmm. do me a favor. He said, don't taste it. And that portion that you're going to taste, put a little plate next to you and put that taste 
or that what you're going to taste into that plate. Mm-hmm. Count, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. By the time he was done prepping the meal for that evening, he had four plates. He had four, <laughs> like, or three big <laughs> bowls filled yeah. with like different salads, the different wow. type of seasonings, yeah. and everything. So, I mean, and the different food. Now, I, I, on my own organism, I feel like every human body is different too. And on my own self, I realize when you eat the same thing continuously, that helps so much. Mm-hmm. And it worked for me. I did it. Eat the same thing for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, which I've told these guys. And it's not easy um, to do. That's it's very I, difficult. To me, that's a, you know, fit into a wedding dress diet. That's not a lifestyle. I, I think you have to change it's lifestyle doable. versus it worked for you. But I know it's so many people yeah. who did that for three weeks. They lost weight. And then they're like, oh, they deprived themselves from everything because all they were eating was chicken breast and she doesn't steam, steam, steam you can't vegetables. Make it yeah. no, you can't make it. And if you make it boring, it's not doable. But the, the, to, the lifestyle change is, I think, important. Instead of just focus on, oh, I'm going to do this for a few motion weeks. Motion is important. Your body needs motion. Yeah. My friend especially us. Sorry to cut you off, doctor. No but especially us, we need to look at genetics. Genetics matters. Uh-huh. Where you come from tells you a lot about your own body. Mm-hmm. If yeah. your ancestors were village people working in the mountains... That's probably where you're going to function better, and that's where the diet you should be getting from. Mm-hmm. That's the way I feel about it. Now, I might be wrong. We're all humans at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that I talked to my friend recently, last week, I believe. I was at his restaurant, and uh, I said, you know, your prices are on the higher side. And he's like, you know what? I can make it cheaper because I'm not buying the beef for 99 uh, cents. I'm buying it for 4 and I'm buying a pig, like the pork, from uh, Yosemite somewhere for uh, 4.89. So I can't make it. So if people who understand the quality of food that yeah. I have, they have to realize it and they have to pay for it. And I'm like, he's right. It makes sense. So we have to understand where we eat, what we eat, and uh, understand how it's cooked. Yeah. All these things. And Glendale is a small place. At least we have to know around us which uh, restaurant serves what kind of food. Right. And uh, and that I think it's uh, it's worth to invest in yours yourself. Pay yeah. a little bit higher price for a better food. I completely agree. Stay away like from the drive-thru. Don't 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 eat meat every day. You can't afford fifteen dollars a pound of because I mean that's wholesale pricing. For us, it could be more. Eat it twice a week. You don't have to eat meat every day. Do fish. Don't don't go buy the specials at you know one ninety nine. But fish is more expensive. Pound so and yeah. uh, you bring it home. It's like. The hell is this? Is like you cook it, it turns into rubber balls. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and and everything I think that is 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 the same. It's you have to think of what's going. We just don't look at it as what's going into our body, and how is this going to help our function. We just look, consume it just to get full or just to uh, fulfill some type of uh, craving. Or it's never about nutrition. If it was about nutrition, we would really put more thought into it. I think. It's just about, well, I'm craving something sweet. I'm going to go have this crap. How about exercise? We we, we didn't touch the exercise. Ex- yeah. That's another very important portion. I tried to run. I tried to do this, but you sometimes you don't like that exercise you do. So you have to keep trying. And I purchased recently a bicycle, and I love bicycle. Hmm. I love bike. You found your niche. Yeah. So you don't give up. Go find what you want to do. You want to play racquetball? Do racquetball. You didn't like it? Go play basketball. You want to try different play, things. Try yeah. it. Yeah, try it. See what matches. It comes from genetics. The yes. things that you say. Exactly. Exactly. So we all different. You have to find your own thing and do it and find the balance in everything and mm. find the time for it. Stay mm-hmm. active. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. 
And you have a martial arts background, so that do you do you still practice judo? Yeah, I, or? I, I did do judo for a long time, and uh, I really gained some weight during the residency, actually. <laughs> did you? Because of that uh, food, that uh, uh. we had free food, and you're so tired, you're stressed out, you go into the cafeteria, and you can have anything you want at any time, day and night. Mm. See, that's a problem. So there's a systems problem that has to be addressed yeah. Yeah. very seriously. And the types of the foods, they yeah, they w- they say it's safe to have hormones and antibiotics into this meats and things that we have. But uh, for instance, Canada or Europe, they banned it. They you cannot have any of those things that we have. Yeah, in our this beef country. cannot be exported out right. of Canada, yeah. out of the that's, U.S. That's bad. That's so that's sad. You know what that says about our beef, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean. No one else accepts it except for us. <laughs> and it's crazy. Sorry. There's people that actually order order beef from overseas. Like my buddy was telling me, he was like, you know what? Let's order some Wagyu steaks from Japan. Hmm. And I was like, how is it going to get here from Japan? He's like, they pack it in dry ice yeah. and, they, it's, and it's sealed up and they send it over. I'm like, we don't have any beef here. He goes, well. Well, look, I ordered it from, there's these websites now. Uh, I'm not sure it's been around for a while, but. It's specific forms you can buy it from where it's it is more expensive. I mean, Japanese wagyu, you're not who's going to pay two hundred dollars a pound for? Well, no, this is for an experience. Yeah, well, that's different, yeah. But I mean, to consume it on a weekly basis, there's farms where it's a little bit more expensive. But I can tell you, especially the pork, because I I I will never eat pork from anywhere else. Because pork is the mo- lowest energy meat, I think. I mean, it pretty much consumes anything and everything. Yeah, I wouldn't so agree with it. Well, well no, I the think uh, chicken is dirtier animal than the pork. No, the pig eats everything. Uh, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> so anyway, my point is, even the chicken, for example, chicken at this farm, uh, you buy like one full-size chicken. It's about a pound and a half, almost two pounds. It's 20 bucks. But you can really taste the difference. The pork, I mean, the, the, the flavor is completely different. You can tell one tastes like plastic and this actually tastes like real pork. What it's supposed pork, to take yeah. like. Uh, but it's worth it because, again, instead of having pork or ribs or whatever steak every night, have it twice a week, you know, three times a week if you can afford it. And buy the good stuff. Don't just eat the crap because it's on sale, you know. I want to retract... Did you say you want to spend 200 bucks a pound on meat to experiment? Yeah. I want to hear this. It's a Wagyu beef. I want to ex- hear what the experiment is. Actually, there's is. a store here I can tell you. You don't have to order it from Japan. Seven is it market from here? Has Wagyu. They bring it from, but uh, it, it's it's from Japan. A5? Yeah. A5, really? They have A5, A3. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So wait, wait, tell me about this. Ooh. It's uh, for simple people like us. It's <laughs> very hard to understand. <laughs> bullshit. Hey, for hey, us blue-collar yeah. people... <laughs> You know <laughs> what a wagyu? I'm sure, doctor. You I know, know what a wagyu, wagyu is too, buddy. I know what it's it a, it's, is. It's a. But it's you're uh, you're telling me you're spending 200 bucks a pound to experiment. What's the experiment? It, it's a steak. It's a very it's a very tender, very marble. So okay, but I'm, let me let me tell you. Here. But if I were you, I wouldn't do that because you're not gonna cook it right, and you can't. Th- it's who said l- I'm cooking it? Who's gonna cook it? Our chef friend is gonna cook it. That's different. I would yeah. not. I would not yeah. cook that myself yeah. because it's no such way. a delicate meat. You can't cook it. No, 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 no. Uh, my my buddy Gilbert is going to cook that meat. That's I, there's no way I would. I wouldn't even. Different. I would. I wouldn't know what to do with it. Yeah. So what's the experiment, Mike? Uh, my question <laughs> is, what the hell is this experiment that costs two hundred bucks a pound? It's, Please, it's just a, it's a different. Wagyu. It's a different it's type it's of beef. Di- it's a, the, because of the specific beef. The cow is from. massaged. The cow drinks beer. 
the cow is no i'm serious the cow consumes a lot of beer which relaxes the muscle and there's japanese masseuses who actually go around and rub the uh the the cow on it every so often they it's don't a even move yeah, yeah. it's a pampered cow it's yeah. a pampered cow and you stationary. know yeah. <laughs> stationary <laughs> yeah it's in a small cage you guys are not gonna come wait so you're telling me it's a good idea to spend 200 bucks a pound on a meat it's an experiment <laughs> It's That's an experience. You can <laughs> really not find anything else to do with farmers market. market. No, you guys go farmers market. It's about listen. It's you. about twenty five, thirty five dollars a pound, yeah. depending on the cut of the meat. But remember, this isn't That's acceptable to me. Okay, yeah. now you've earned. You want to spend on your hard earned money, thirty five bucks a pound for beef. Go ahead. I'll be my guest, buddy. That's two hundred is too much. But two hundred, yeah. you're being an asshole. No, no it's that, not. About, it's not. Here's you, the thing. You, too, you do that much. once. You're not help someone else with five dollar pound. No, 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 no. Listen, listen. It's not about. No, that's just my take. You're on not life. gonna buy twenty pounds and make tacos. That's not the purpose. <laughs> not, I know. I understand I'm buy, that. Ed, I'm buying. I'm literally buying like two cuts of beef. I understand. And I'm basically gonna have my buddy cook it. They're all gonna lick it once I put it. <laughs> <laughs> They're not gonna eat it. It's, I will never understand. Have it. you been to a really good steakhouse? Like, have, have you been, been to like to a that. Mastro's? I've been. To okay, that. you have their filet mignon. It's yeah. not. It's not. Mastro's a, doesn't even have that. No, 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 of course not. Okay, yeah. like STK that's has why it. I, that's why I told STK you. STK like, doesn't have A5. A4. Okay. They have A4. I, told you. Is, I mean, <laughs> to me, it's just not feasible <laughs> well, and practical. Love, like we're, my mind anyways, we're, really, love, love. we're really digressing we're, here. Yeah, I think right. we, we should <laughs> get back to the doctor here. Sorry, we, don't, doc. we don't have a doctor here every Monday, so let's take advantage. We of tend it. to digress. <laughs> sorry. Uh, sorry uh, let, let's talk about a little bit of your missionary work. I know you've done a lot of work in Armenia the last, what, maybe, was it five, ten years or so? You, you start, when was it that you started? Five so, years. Five years, yeah. yeah. Um, and, Tell us a little bit about how you got started with that and um, what exactly you do. Because I've seen pictures of you and your the, your team, some of your fel- your colleagues from the hospital that you guys go out to Armenia and you help out a lot of the uh, underprivileged people over there. So, Yeah, we started in Gyumri. We started doing uh, surgeries uh, in uh, Gyumri. And um, I went uh, alone first. We went there and we talked to the uh, administration and... Uh, I did uh, close to 60 surgeries in about a couple of weeks, maybe 10 days. I don't Were know, these remember. weight loss surgeries or no, everything? No, mostly general surgery general cases, gallbladders uh, and hernias mostly, because you don't have that set up to do uh, more complicated cases. Mm. We, I, do, I did take some uh, meshes with me and sutures and things that uh, we did the surgeries. Then we went next year with uh, four other physicians, and we did another uh, mission in Gyumri, and then we started with Adventist Hospital, Glendale Adventist Hospital. Started the mission, and now our team was much bigger, 40, 50 people, all 10 to 15 doctors and uh, different specialties, and uh, mostly nursing, lots of nurses, surgical assistants. We had two, three ORs, and we would do really different cases, including eyes and orthopedics and other things. That mission continued in Noembedan in Armenia. Mm-hmm. We chose a place where Armenia Fund did uh, remodeling of the hospital, and we were able to give them new um, technolo- technologies, new things that, like anesthesia machines, equipment. equipment. Yeah, we gave them, and uh, we left it there. Also, we gave them uh, two uh, ambulances. 
two cars. Yeah, so, so if they need to take the emergent patient to Yerevan, they could. Mm. Was this all they didn't have donated by Glendale Adventist or? No, there there were uh, a few fundraisers, fundraisers and, and okay. Glendale Adventist at the same time, yeah, mm. all together. So that was very nice. Uh, we went there, and now we're switching to Karabakh. We're doing in uh, Stepanakert missions, and uh, new surgeons also joined. And they're doing uh, orthopedic surgeons, even joint surgeries. Mm. Um, so it's going really well. I believe that that's uh, something that uh, is very important to us, especially to us as Armenians. And we're bringing something back to our uh, land. And we all feel it's a different satisfaction when you do that. It's a different feeling when you go and things that... Uh, uh, appreciate it, and when you see the families, their eyes, and the patients, that's a, uh, I believe that's something that uh, a must. We give back to community, to to the people. It's priceless. Who, yeah, it's, it's, it's a different feeling completely. So, so you're paying it forward at this point? You have to. You have to. Yeah, that's <coughs> part of what we do. And it, uh, it's a connection with your family, uh, own people. Yeah, own people, too, because yeah. you take your kids with you, you take your families, they learn the language, they learn the traditions, and then you get together, you travel, you go see the churches, you see the other things, you meet new people, so you reconnect. You know, we didn't have time because we were studying and doing other things, and immigration is very difficult. We immigrants, is very we, we go through very difficult times. Everyone has their own story, but uh, when you come to one point when you can return, bring it back to them and reconnect, that's beautiful. You of kind course. of close the no cycle. No better payment than life. Yes. Life. That's Absolutely. very important. And you do this once a year or? Usually once a year. Yeah, we go and uh, we do operations, surgeries. Uh, we treat hypertension, diabetes. Uh, we have, uh, we take whole pharmacy with us. There are boxes of boxes wow. of medications. People stand in line. They, We do... Um, the uh, originally they advertise and they bring the patients who are uh, needy who really need it who don't have insurances the local insurances right. and they stay in line and they get the surgeries done that's so priceless they're not pre-selected before not. you arrive there no they uh, well we do pre-select we triage them in a sense uh based on their finances, very important, and based on the disease that we can provide the help. Mm. Now, on um, finances, they're not paying a copay in a sense. You're doing this all, it, we no charge. To we do no charge, but to uh, the somebody who is able to pay, they can go to other places and get the treatment. You don't want done. them to take exactly, advantage of that. But we usually help the people who cannot afford to yeah, do it. Definitely. They cannot travel. Mostly farmers in Noembedan, there's lots of farmers oh, yeah. with hernias. And they can't work. That's a survival for them. They have to be able to work, and, and they're very hard physical jobs to do. And that really helps them. They're very grateful, great people. And they every year they expect us to go back. Well, because these, these men are supporting their houses, well, exactly. men and women. They're supporting yeah. their yeah, families exactly. with that hard work, with yeah. their back. But having a hernia, they're basically immobile. Uh, you can't immobile. Do anything. They can't yeah. do anything. Yeah. So you give them the chance to support their family again. I remember one case, uh, the driver at the place that he was driving the patients, and he had a huge hernia, and we were almost done. He came to me and said, would you operate on me? And I looked at him. He has a huge hernia. We didn't have a mesh of that size. I said, you know what? I'll come next year, and I'll do your surgery. 
he remembered that. He remembered, and next year when I went back, everyone was calling, hey, you promised, bring, please bring the bigger mesh. And I went there, and I did the surgery. He was so happy, and he did great. <laughs> so th wow. there's like... That guy might even stop driving and go back to do something else he might be able to do today that he wasn't able to. You don't know. Yeah. The recovery is fast for hernia surgery? Depends what kind. It, if it's a groin hernia, it's usually a week. But if it's a bigger incisional hernia and you do huge surgeries, it takes months sometimes to recover. Mm. Now, doctor, wounds have you to were be saying a mesh. The mesh itself, is it like, it's, a, it's an actual, is it like a, what it's is a it screen. made? It's a screen. It's a plastic screen you p put inside of their abdominal wall to uh -huh. for, uh, it holds the abdominal domain mm -hmm. all together and you suture it, make sure it doesn't get infected. And then you, the scar tissue grows into the mesh and holds it in place. And the mesh stays in the stays body? forever. And it's not mm -hmm. like it's, I mean, it's a foreign object at the end of the day, but yeah. it's not something where it'll, the body will reject it's plastic. It. Usually it doesn't get rejected. Usually it gets inf infected. Oh. And when it gets infected, you have to take it out. That's a problem. So you have to be really careful with them. Mm -hmm. There's a 1% chance of getting infection. Yeah. And the mesh is used for all types of hernia surgeries? or Yes. Uh, if it, There are so many different types of infections, different types of meshes that uh, you can match and mix and see which mm -hmm. mesh goes where. There's a biological type meshes, the ones that you can place inside the infection or you cannot. And uh, there are types that stays permanently, the others get absorbed. Mm -hmm. And then you have different la layers of the meshes, too. You have a mesh that can uh, touch the intestine. There are some meshes cannot touch the intestine. There's lots of these lot details, of different mm -hmm. types, yeah. There's, uh, there's one mesh that kept uh, keeps coming up because uh, the our friends, the lawyers, they advertise on TV all the time, oh, this mesh is bad, call us if you <laughs> have this mesh and that. And every time patients come to me and a mesh and mesh, they keep asking me. Are you um, using that? Yeah. Are, you, are we going to, can you do without the mesh? Can you do this? Can you do that? I'm like, come on, that mesh has been around and that's the standard of care and we have to do that mesh. And recent, actually, a couple weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, a patient called and canceled the surgery he was scheduled already. He said, I did research on the mesh. I don't want mesh. I'm canceling my surgery. And it disappeared. So, I mean, what else is he going to uh, do? It's like, you, uh, that it has to Is there another option? That's the option. I mean, there is an option. The old way that we did a long so time cut ago. Cut it and suture it? Yeah, suture it together. The problem with that is you create a tension. And mm. now we're doing the non-tension repairs. And that's the key. There's a difference. There's a standard of care now is non-tension repairs with mesh. When you create tension, your recurrence rate goes up. Yeah. Same place. Yeah, like it can tear again, basically. Yeah. You, you imagine if you, you have a hole in the pants, then you pull the edges together, it's going to rip at some point. It's going because there's a tension. But when you put a patch and you suture the patch, mm. that's going to stay. That, that, yeah. that, that makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah. It's, like, it's like scar tissue. A buddy of ours had a scar on his face. We were playing soccer. They headbutted. That same scar busted open. Same spot. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. it's a hernia, but it's the same thing. You suture it up, the likelihood of it rupturing again is the same. Mm -hmm. how, how advanced is medicine in Armenia today? Because, you know, it, 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 I mean, I don't, this is more of like a... Uh, coffee table talk where you hear you know the doctors in Armenia were different and it, in my opinion if you ask me I think the key to to being a successful 
physician is knowing how to diagnose because I think diagnosing is the most difficult thing, knowing where is that. I mean, surgery may be a little bit different, but in terms of being able to diagnose and treat something, diagnosis is the most challenging part of medicine from my perspective. But I always hear, you know, in Armenia it was different. They can just diagnose you and then they would give you one shot and you were good. How, <laughs> how much truth is there to that? And mm-hmm. how advanced are they in terms of compared to here? Uh, and when, when you do go out there, do you guys provide any type of education to any of the local physicians or any type of training on how to do certain things? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question that... Uh, I get asked uh, frequently because we go and travel. Well, first of all, I have to say that there's there's a lot of very talented and great surgeons mm-hmm. in Armenia. And I'm not just saying, I usually say what I think. It's, it's not a political call. That's really, that's true. Some of them are very good uh, technically, and they do great, uh, mostly open operations because of... Uh, lack of the other things that we have Tools, and yeah. we're, we're trained but the whole system i had this long conversation with uh, my uh russian counterparts that i discussed who i went to school in russia in saint petersburg and uh, they say you know everyone thinks that oh it's only equipment oh we have good equipment and that's why we can do oh if they had our equipment they would be better than us there's a couple things that we need to go um, over. The first of all, the U.S. training we discussed already is very, very uh, intense. exhausting, yeah. intense, yeah, very difficult, and it's very long. Now, uh, the knowledge that I got in Russian school, and I was, wasn't studying too bad. I mean, I had uh, fives and fours, mostly fives. Mm-hmm. That's the highest grade. Mm-hmm. So I was a good student. But uh, the training that I got here and when I passed my test was absolutely different on a knowledge level. And our books in the U.S., they get uh, old in one year. One year, your book is old. Two years, it's old. I remember I was studying with a book of 10 years old in Russia. So think about it. Then, uh, So that's number one. Number two, the books are created by very highly trained psychologists, people who are just trained in what they do, and they give you the information the way you're supposed to receive in the right order, in the right way. They bold some of the words, they, they put the way they write the texts in and a And these are you guys, the books you use for here For my training. No, we're talking about even general medical, medical, medical school. school. Yeah, yeah okay. the information like biochemistry and physiology and all that that people go... Uh, they learn. So all this and the amount of this bulk of information that we received is amazing in this country. That's that's number one. So first thing is the way they have to put the train the teaching, the books and the training in a specific way, specific order. I remember the professor in Russia would come and he was like 75 years old. He will tell us about the story, how great this place is, how much history is this. He was barely talking. There's a lot of... In, uh, in, no, there's a word I'm trying to find, but uh, accent on professorship in Russia and mm-hmm. Armenia. This post-Soviet things that we had. And there's, uh, it's not necessarily bad. The problem is 
they like to worship this one person or two people, right. and they do everything they say. That's not how in the U.S. In the U.S., there's a standard. There's a standard that everyone has to follow, no matter who you are. And you can be right, even then, even two major names may tell you, see this and that, but you can bring all the research and show them that, no, this is not how it is, this is how it's supposed to be. So you can argue, you can make the point based on the research, on the studies, on the information, on the bulk of the things, research that you did or somebody did, and uh, you can be correct. There's an understanding of standard of care that we use, and that's a standard of that community where you practice. That's mm -hmm. the... That's how it, uh, it works. But in uh, places where I did my surgery uh, training, uh, they were one professor. He said whatever he said, that's how it's supposed to be. And that, that was everywhere like that, localized. So there should be a system created um, nationally and now right now in Armenia that would follow those things. And there's an evidence. So now we're in the stage of evidence-based medicine when you have to follow the evidence. There's an evidence that this is how it works, and there's some there's randomized control trials that we do. Those are now number one evidence. And whatever that uh, trial says, that's the right thing to do. Number mm -hmm. two then goes this cohort studies, prospective studies you do, and the third level is only the expert opinion. So expert opinion is below the evidence. Mm. Wow. So that's that's the key. That's very important. So when we have to bring this whole psychology understanding of science, uh, when uh, I'm sure some of them, they do understand, and many of them understand. The problem is you have to break that knowledge of, oh, this professor's daughter has to pass. <laughs> they have to become doctors. Yeah. Even though the, you know, they try to implement, I heard uh, this is like rumors, that uh, they try to implement USMLE system in Armenia, but then when it touches their personal kids or families, uh, it doesn't work. Mm. And that's that's what the problem is. Yeah, the there's problem. a culture. There's culture, a exactly. So that has to be changed. It's a clash of the cultures. Exactly. Right mm. Yeah. But no one's going to be willing to change that. It has to be. It ha you see to see what happened in the country. Who would believe that whole system will change? See what happened. What system? The system what was before. Like we're talking political system. In Armenia, I mean, I'm not an expert. We can have our uh, our own opinions. Of but course. I believe there's a... Uh, nobody would believe that uh, the system could have changed. Those people would, would be gone. I don't know. Nobody really believed. I heard it from many, many people. Who's so gone? Uh, anyway. <laughs> 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 Ed Edgar, Edgar really wants to get into... I know. I mean, we were hoping we'd get to talk about it, but... We should yeah. talk about it. But we, we've discussed... I mean, his knowledge of healthcare has been so... Ex it's so extensive to me. When I, f when I was first... Uh, knew you were going to come on the show i thought well we'll discuss some surgery some mm. you know uh bariatric surgery but then the fact that you do everything else all these other general surgeries and the wealth of knowledge you have because you know i deal with a lot of physicians a lot of these guys don't have the type of knowledge you do where you know they're just focused on one thing they know that particular uh part of 
medicine and anything else you out well that's not my area i'll send but, you to a specialist <laughs> yeah, but you seem to understand uh kind of just overall how the, our organism anatomy biology all that physiology all of that how it works and how it contributes one to the other and maybe it's because of your extensive training fellowship and uh, your education from russia to here to um, Michigan to North Michigan, Carolina yeah, to Duke Portland. <laughs> no, I mean, Colorado. 19 years, man. 19 that's, years of training. Yeah, we, we, that's we crazy. Can, we, can, we can talk about it, too. I mean, we can talk about politics. We don't necessarily have to argue about it. Everyone can, <laughs> yeah, can, everyone can uh, yeah, have their own opinion what they about think, it, of right? Course. And then uh, decide, leave it to the viewers and see what they think. And uh, but the way I see is that... Uh, the system to me mm-hmm. has changed a lot. The problem yeah. is people expect too much from the leaders. They think, oh, everything has to become somehow beautiful and right away in a year or two. Maybe uh, I'm not an expert and I can't really say uh, things, but that's my perception that I believe that people, at least uh, most of the people that uh, we know in Armenia and even Spurk that uh, we know, they have a hope now. Yeah. Before, it was so dry that I know... I mean, look at the flow of people going back to Armenia. I'm going to talk uh, just facts, evidence, yeah. that I, w- I had... Uh, I mean, my volume really dropped when in this uh, summer... And even though I'm saying, yeah, I still have 45 patients tomorrow, and, <laughs> and, uh, and that's true. But I noticed the volume drop. They're all in Armenian. Yes, now. <laughs> yes. I'm serious. Wow. Like last year and this year, I see a lot of pe- – and every patient told me they're going to Armenia. They, people have hope. But the problem is they have too much hope on – they used to the czar – to tell them what to do and fix everything doesn't work that way. I think people have to take each one of us have to has to take responsibility for our country. What happened is we have, I don't know, if we do or not yet. I didn't, I don't know, maybe. But what at least I feel that we have some freedom to act, and that's what everyone has to realize. We, they can't. One person or twenty people cannot fix the country. They can. Free your hands so you can work for your country and do something for your land. And that's what we did here. And that's what we have to bring back there to understand so they understand. It's not going to be like before. Oh, they said do this and everyone becomes. They bring their own money. No, you have to do it. There's a freedom. Everyone, there's an opportunity. You have to do it yourself. So... I believe. I mean, look at the culture. I mean, look at the TV stations. What they're watching. What kind of programs we're watching on Armenian TV? It's uh, getting dirtier we, by we, the day. We have to fix that. So cultural. We have to bring the culture back. We have to bring uh, the kids that they grew. Uh, okay, let me bring it to me. Like when I went there and I was operating, doing this, and the people around us, they were talking. Obviously, I would know what they're talking about and they would say oh there's no way they're laundering the money there's no way he's doing it for free as in you no yeah me Uh, right in front of you right in front of you no behind my back behind my back they were talking and i was spending thousands of dollars on the fibers on the lasers even i took that laser we're talking about the varicose i did Uh in gimri i did 30 or 40 cases for lasers and and all these things that um 
I did. And they said, oh, and then the patients, when they would go for follow-up in, in Gyumri, they would say, oh, did you like those Americans came and did some experiments on you? <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. Experiments. <laughs> experiments. Wait, so for the problem I would see first is Americans came. Yeah. Yeah. Those well, because the other physicians were American. Well, well not yeah, only that. You know what it is? It's, uh, our culture is scarred. Yeah. It's, 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 it's not it's scarred. It's scared. Well, <laughs> two different things. We, we have to go back to our roots. We have to, and you know, let's take it globally. I, probably there's some people who are really masters and experts in this, but I think what our nation has to do, our people, that we have to go back to our roots. We have to see who we are, and then we have to come back and realize and see what our strategy is as a nation. I'm not sure if we have a strategy as a nation. I don't know if we. I see some people, very smart, intelligent, educated people on TV. I see three, four, five people. But then I don't know if there is a core that is really working to bring this. I mean, we have a right to have our, you know, with our whole history and knowledge, we have a right to have leaders, our own existence. leaders who have a vision as a nation. I mean, that's what I don't see. Maybe I'm mistaken, but we have to talk about this yeah. stuff because if we don't, nothing is going to happen. Remember, Rome wasn't built in one day. It's one of the one of the greatest sayings as far as with the a here, new. Here's my thing: now. if you do a revolution, you must change that constitution right away. The the law of that land must change if you're going to do a revolution. Then, if if not, then you don't have a full revolution. You just have a replacement. Again, it doesn't happen. It's just my it, it'll take. It'll, look, well, it, it'll take time. Besides that, the culture now is changing as well. The younger crowd is realizing that you, you know just what? Jump the skips. You skip the main step of a revolution. It's, you can't just look past things, bro. If you're gonna do a revolution, it's got to be done the proper the, steps. The problem is that we don't have all the information. What's happening? You remember sometimes our uh, prime minister in Armenia, prime minister, he was saying that I get. I get uh, information that I cannot handle. Yeah. He says, just get out. I don't want to hear this. Come back in half an hour. I have to take your... We don't know what He's was He's been happening. involved in politics enough to know all of that before he said those words. Yeah, but, but there's things that we don't know. My point is that there's so much that we don't know, and it's very easy to talk about all this stuff, say, judge it, oh, this way, that way. No, I think there... Important thing there, we talked about priorities before in medicine. Yeah. Same is here. So he has so many priorities that probably they need to come first. And he has to fix things. Maybe there's so many dangers to the whole structure, to the change right now, that he needs to eliminate most important things to fix things before he can get to constitution or other things that we think is important. But there are things before that that needs to be fixed. As I don't want to bring names and stuff, but you know there's so many things are happening. And imagine how much pressure in a tiny country has from all over the world, including the bigger countries like Russia, U.S., Europe, and others. And all of the Iran above. is next, yeah, and the, the Israel and all, Azerbaijani, this whole things that he has to uh, survive. He has to help us to survive in that whole relationship there's just too much pre- my, there's too much my pressure main, on my anymore. my main problem is for the last 3000 years we've been maintaining and trying to keep up and we've lost 95% of that land 
just in the last 3,000 years, our country has gone from the 100% it used to be to 5% left because we always want that just to be enough. Now, we can't rely on Russia, America, Europe. At some point, within Armenia, everything must start there. Everything. All decisions. That we're, we're saying the same thing, basically. Yeah. But... There, that's called a revolution, but that takes steps. Now, if you skip step one of not having your own constitution, you just took someone else's written, tied it up constitution, and you sit on top of that throne, that's not a but revolution. Name me one country that doesn't answer to the U.S. or to England or to, I mean, you Russia. have to, or to Russia. You Who, have to. Right. So how And you, you expect Armenia to just stand on its own a standalone country, defend itself, fight for itself. Well, how, the, how's the, that? the only way the, to survive no, is that. The, the At some point, you're going to have to do that. Dude, that's, that's the way I look at it. I know, but that's, <laughs> your that's not going to happen. That's just at some point, what are you going to do? Are you going to have Lydian take that mountain? What's going to happen to Armenia? I'll, I'll promise you this. Up? I'll promise you this. And it's sad to say it's not going to happen in our lifetime. What? What, you're, what you want to happen. Okay, what country has done that, though? In history, what country has that stood on their own against all the other powers of the world? Right now, Iran's doing it. No, they're not. They're doing it. They're, they're not succeeding at it. Are it's not successful. Me? Look I mean, at their what, what's your goal? What <laughs> What do you want to achieve? You want to be a prosperous uh, country, right? You if we're, if so Armenians are not making decisions for Armenia, it's never going to succeed. That's where we started. So strategy. The country has to have their own strategy, but it has to think about other countries too. So they have to be involved, like Russia, U.S., and Europe. They have to be part of the strategy. They have to know how to communicate with China, with Iran. They have to know the approaches. See, did you see what you said? said? You said communication with China. That's important. Very important. And but that's the rest part of, of it the can be. The rest of it could be put aside if you communicate with China. That's just my take on what we're doing right it's now. It's not that simple. <laughs> you have yeah, to. This is a topic you could talk about for hours and hours and hours. Here's the thing: none of us, none of us, are political experts. None of us exactly. know their policies. None of us know. Edgar is an expert. The facts. No, yeah, no, the facts. None of us. I just have my own that. opinion on it. I don't right. think here's, anything. Here's I what say you is could do. Facts. Put in your two cents into the country, into the culture, into the people that live there. And just at this point, it's kind of like, you know what? Hope that the new regime or the new president and the new uh, people that are in power. Yes, I'm sorry. The prime minister will do a proper job and basically help the country do a complete 180 from what it was before. Simple. I'll, I'll tell you what theory concerns me about that and why I think maybe it may not that may not take place because... There's a theory that the people were getting ready pretty much to uh, go against, the, stand up against the government, create a coup, as you could call it, right? Coup. A coup, yeah. Coup, yeah. A coup. 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 That's, <laughs> a, that's, a, that's, a that's the car you want to get soon, remember? <laughs> no, I don't need a coup right <laughs> now. I need cars to see space. Uh, <laughs> so the theory that I've heard, which kind of makes sense to me, unfortunately, is that because the people were going to stand up against the government they kind of created this artificial revolution and brought this new prime minister, Pashinyan, in to make it seem like it's, it's this peaceful revolution. We've got new power, new regime, new everything. Calm down, people. The change is coming. And that's the theory that kind of worries me, that if that is the case, then 
So you agree with me in a sense. Then it's <laughs> the same people running it, except they have a different face now. Different name, different face, same, yeah. same thing, everything. I hope not. Uh, I, again, I no, may be I, wrong. I think, but I think there's, no. uh, it's, it's a fight of big powers against each other. I think there was a shift to the power to power. I yes. mean, probably that's what happened. And, uh, but what I really honestly care about is the, that uh, we have jobs, we can prosper and let us uh, bring our knowledge and abilities to that uh, little piece of land that were we have left were, and yeah. we have left yeah and uh, just make it better i mean yeah. that's that's everyone's our job that's yeah. all we can do and that's what we should do everyone has to do what they can do even uh, lots of people are very um they they, they want to join together create groups and invest something into their country bring their specialty <laughs> profession and teach them something let them do it i mean that's what we can do and we should do it but let the governments worry about uh the things they do exactly. and they're experts at. Karina said it best. Yeah. Leave politics to politicians. Exactly. Simple as that. Yeah. Simple as that. Uh, <laughs> anything you guys want to chime in before we call yeah, it a I night? Did, Jenny did have a question for you, yeah. doctor. Do you deal with female umbilical her- hernias? Female umbilical hernias. Okay. I don't think there's a difference between female or male umbilical hernias. They so both, they both have... And you deal with those? Yeah. There you go, Jenny. Mm-hmm. She had a question uh, on that. Doctor, do you want to maybe share uh, your phone number or anything as far as maybe we, our guests office. have our office phone number? <laughs> yeah, obviously, <laughs> obviously uh, for con- for consultations. Text yeah. him tonight. So, <laughs> yeah, shoot yeah. the doctor a text message, guys. <laughs> for a good time, <laughs> a picture of a hernia. Yeah. What do you think, doctor? You think if you, you have an iPhone, it'll go green. You think you can get rid of this bad boy? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay. uh, why did I go on the show? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm located at 1510 South Central Avenue. That's a Glendale Memorial Hospital across the street. Is a, it's called a, it's the pharmacy building. Okay. It's right where San Fernando and Central is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm on the second floor, 200 uh, suite. My number is 818-247-2000. Don't text it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> an it's, it's an it's office. A, it's an office. Yeah. And and sure. we'll actually post his information. Definitely. Yeah, on our Definitely. on our uh, uh, show here too on on his specific show. So uh, eight one eight two four seven two thousand twenty zero zero. Doctor, thank you so much for taking time out thank of your you. Monday to join us to talk about thank you very much. what you, you do, what you do overseas, and obviously politics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it was it was honestly utmost pleasure having you. Hundred percent pleasure I, meeting. I learned a great deal about. Uh, just human anatomy and how we function and all, and I think so did our listeners. Absolutely, uh, it was it was yeah. a very educational show. I enjoyed it Thank definitely. You. Yeah. Thank you very much. And uh, and stay humble, like everybody says. You're truly. Uh, I work with a lot of physicians, and surgeons are unfortunately known for having. What He's is it called God, God's. Uh, he said it himself. Syndrome, he said it. There. Syndrome. There's another word they use. I don't know. I forgot the name. I mean, Jenny, I'm sure he's going to write that. Jenny's Jenny's about to write it in, literally. (laughs) No, but but he said it himself. I mean, surgeons are the most difficult doctors to work with. But you truly are, I mean, I can tell from the interaction we've had, an amazing human being first and then an amazing physician as well. So uh, keep on helping the people here locally and overseas, your, your great missionary work that you do. And if we can support you in any way, um, we'd love to. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me, and uh, I appreciate it. If uh, anyone needs my help, I'm here to help. And uh, I learned one thing that uh, being humble is uh, the best way to learn and get even uh, better than you are. And when people say, oh, you compete with this and that, uh, one thing I wanted to add, you compete with yourself. So remember, it's like something that we all do. We compete, we get better every day. And that's when you think you're, whenever you think you're the best or you're the God or whatever, you stop right there. So that stops you. Mm. You mentally close your development and you you don't learn anything. And that's, uh, once you understand that, that you understand that being humble and learning and getting better, is the best way to go. Absolutely. So thanks, thanks for having of me. Course. Thank you so much, Great doctor. pleasure meeting you. Thank Absolutely. You, thank, you. thank you guys for joining us on a Monday, on Labor Day Monday. Yes. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Same time, same place, same channel. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Have a great Good week. Good week, everyone. Thank you, doctor. <laughs>